Blog Talk Radio. That's where that normally cuts off. Uh, hi, everybody. Welcome to TV Party Tonight. I am not your regular host. Uh, this is normally Mark's job. And lest you confuse my accent for that of Mark Radlich, uh which has actually happened in the past, funnily enough. Uh, but I'm Robert Winfrey, and I believe Mark will be here shortly. But real life does have a way of intervening with the best li- you know, Again, the old saying... <sighs> Man plans and God laughs. Uh, tonight, however, we will be... We've got a pretty full house for the show tonight. Um, again, Mark will be here. I'm here. I've got at least Sean Comer and, I, and Jesse Starcher here with me as well. I'll bring them on in a second. And tonight we will be discussing the, Mar, uh, excuse me, the Netflix series The Punisher, just in case the title of the show... Didn't give that away. So, yeah, again, Mark kind of like threw the kitchen sink at us in terms of guest invites here, but we'll, uh, <laughs> it'll be fun. It'll be fun. <laughs> this will be interesting. Uh, so, anyway, while Mark, yeah, again, uh, finds time to call in, dear Lord in heaven, <laughs> this, oh boy. All right. Um, first up, I'm. G- I don't even know half these numbers. I hit my life. <laughs> <laughs> take your time. Take your time. Uh, anyway, let's start with Sean because Sean was actually here before I was in terms of waiting in the queue. So, Sean Comer, how are you doing tonight, sir? Oh, I'm Sean. You're not, and I'm doing fan bloody tastic, uh, playing Mass Effect Three while we talk about <laughs> while we talk about surprisingly what might now possibly be my new favorite Netflix Marvel original. Okay. Before I go on, I have a joke that I think you'll, that I think you, I don't know if you've seen it yet or not, but uh, the disaster artist came out. Mm. And I, I hate James Franco with a burning passion, but the reviews for it have been, uh, the reviews have been interesting. It scored really, really consistent. uh, Oh, hi marks. (laughs) <laughs> nice nice um i wish that was original to me yeah. but it's not um all right. uh, my, moving on just I, my my short my, my short and sweet opinion having not seen them uh, having not seen the movie yet is simply that even the worst actors 
have that one role that they would have to be actively trying to somehow miraculously fuck up. They're just that born for it. It's like I I think Will Smith might be one of his generation's most overrated actors, but casting him as Muhammad Ali, it was a slam dunk. There was just no way he was going to screw that up. It was too perfect. So, yeah, as irritating as we all find Franco, I don't – I think we were pretty sure that uh, he was somehow going to manage to nail this. All right, next up, uh, calling in, we have – see that? Okay, I believe that's uh, – okay, Jesse, you're up, unless there is some other – Skype account known as the Starcherer. I feel pretty safe about this one. How you doing? How you doing, Jesse? Speak up, my Krogan battle master. Yeah, I'm sorry. All right. Uh, also, let me see Jesse, here. There? Oh, there's Mark. I knew you were one of those. Finally got you unmuted. Yeah. Yeah, um, so everything – I can't get anything to work. <laughs> I'm, I'm currently calling in on my cell phone. I can't get Skype to work. My mouse just died. I can't get it to reconnect. I, I can't do anything right now other than talk on my cell phone. So I'm a okay. little, I'm a little I'll, I'll I'll play producer you should get you, Jesse, Jesse's in the queue. I don't know uh, yeah, he's why in, he's, he's not talking. Um, and he if there's an issue, it. it's on his end. And then that last number is Ronnie Adams. Who is also unmuted now. And the family's all here. <laughs> Ronnie, you that you there? Good. Hello? Yeah, so far. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is off to a right, wonderful we you, start. We, we hear you just fine, Sean. Um... What we're not getting is Jesse and or Ronnie. Uh, I'm Ronnie. Okay, no, we got Ronnie. Uh, we're only missing Jesse at the moment. I'm Robbie. Okay, okay. he's going to try calling back in. And he's going to dial back in. I'm Mark. <laughs> all right, well, all right. Let's, let's... <laughs> all right, thanks, Ron. Right <laughs> here and try to get – oh, hey, I have a connected mouse. Woohoo. Um, I'm going to take a deep breath here and I'm actually going to try Skype one more time. If not, I'm gonna, I'll dial back into my cell phone. Okay, Rob? Um, just kind of plow ahead for me. All right. <laughs> okay, well, while we try to hash this whole circumstance out, uh, <sighs> Hang on, we, I think we have Jesse now. Let me try the... Let me see if this will... Please, work because, tell well, me you... Can you hear me? There we go. Ah, I got you this time. The starterer has arrived, ladies and gentlemen. Thank goodness. The, notori- the notoriously abusive relationship between Blog Talk Radio and Skype continues. And bear in mind, <laughs> that is mutually abusive. <laughs> I'm sure I will drop out at some point in the middle of this podcast, so just be ready. Duly noted. Uh, all right, Mark is trying has 
again, he brought up he's having some technical issues. He, I imagine we'll see him back momentarily, either via Skype or on his phone, and we'll plow ahead from there. But uh, in the end, that in the interest of not taking, you know, 40 minutes just sorting this thing out, because we are live. Yay. Woo. Live. Uh, again, tonight we're going to be discussing uh, sort of episode by episode, again, the Punisher series that came out in November on Netflix. So, uh, you know, before we get going... I do this on Damn You Hollywood. I suppose I'll kill a little time while Mark curses at his machines. Uh, I'll go down the line here, just relatively briefly, you know, as Mark is fond of saying, 50 words or less. Uh, Sean, Ronnie, and then Jesse. Uh, Any expectations that you guys had coming into this uh, when this was released, when some of the trailers dropped? uh, Where were you, you know, in terms of anticipation and what you thought you were going to get out of it? Uh... I can tell you what I damn sure didn't expect, and that is I didn't expect a surprisingly soulful, heartbreaking treatise on the high cost of war. That certainly caught me off guard. I mean, I, I expected it to be, to be visceral, creatively violent. Um, as I, to borrow a phrase I heard on a YouTube video earlier, I expected there to be more blood than paint on the walls. And I do love that expression. This, yeah, so do I. Um, and this this kind of defied that right from the very beginning. I did not expect a humanized Frank Castle. All right, Ronnie. Um, I'm kind of the same way. I expected a storyline, but I didn't expect what I what I got. Um, I. I <laughs> I figured there would be um, <laughs> killings and shell casings of plenty, and um, which there were. Don't get me wrong; <laughs> there was there was plenty of that. But um, I, I expected more uh, more kills than story, and I got I got a lot of story, and I really enjoyed it. All right, Jesse, to close out this segment, then we'll just plow ahead into the first episode. <laughs> Ten years old. <laughs> Okay, ten years old, I, I, I relished seeing the Punisher on the screen, and then I got Dolph Lundgren. Okay, <laughs> I and to be was, fair. <laughs> well, say to be fair, nobody could have saved the writing in that particular movie. Agreed, agreed, but. I I wanted something that was definitive, either big screen or small screen. And so anticipating this, yes, when I saw his his debut, John Bernthal or Jehoshaphat Bernthal, as Mark likes to call him, uh, showing up in season two of Daredevil. And I was so excited then to hear that he got a spin that, you know, we got a spinoff Punisher standalone series. And I was like, okay, all right, can it beat that? Can it beat what we saw in Daredevil Season 2? Because that, to me, honestly was the quintessential Punisher that I've wanted to see since I was 10. Uh, so I was anticipating it, and then when the trailer dropped with Metallica's 1 behind it. I love that trailer hmm. so much. Holy, <laughs> holy shit. 
was I excited. I, as a matter of fact, I've probably watched the trailer three times since I've seen the series because I thought the trailer was so good. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, man, as far as anticipating, my goodness, I, as a kid, this is my favorite comic book superhero. I wanted to see something spectacular in front of me on TV that I could share with the rest of the world. And I'm, I'm glad at least we got this, you know, we got this. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I loved that trailer so much. Uh, not just because oh. I'm a big Metallica fan, but it was utilizing gunfire in place of the, you know, timing up with the guitar riffs. It was, it was about Hell, as perfect a yeah. trailer as you were going to get. Uh, all right. Brilliant. Yeah. When uh, when Mark calls back in, he will yeah he can join in as soon as he gets here. Wait, we might have him. <laughs> let, me, let me see if this is. I, I'm here. Yay! <laughs> we got Mark. Yay, Mark. Holy crap! That was annoying. So <laughs> mouse disconnected, and suddenly Skype is different than what it used to be since I did like a, a, a some sort of update which I don't know how that would have affected Skype, but I, I pay for like a yearly subscription to Skype, which apparently no longer exists. So I had to redo everything, and now I have to do this like $10 auto refill anytime you, know, anytime you run down on credit on Skype. I'm just mad yeah. as hell right what? now. Mm. Yeah, He's not going to take I, it Skype anymore. Skype is way different now. <laughs> yeah, and it, but this, I just re- discovered this. Like, I had no idea any of this was happening. So... You know, I was listening to uh, YouTube and figured, okay, I have plenty of time to call into the show. I go to call in, suddenly nothing works, and then the mouse disconnected. <sighs> Seriously, like, I'm at, like, stroke levels right now. So, oh, welcome to TV I, Party I, tonight. I forgot <laughs> to tell you, Mark, I sent my daughter down there to, to sit on your computer for a few. And uh, yeah, now, you, now, you, <laughs> now you were experiencing what I experience almost every Monday. She found the couple the fuck. Tell your daughter to stay the fuck away from my computer, Jesse Starks here, okay? I can't handle it. Will do. <laughs> really, let's Hi, be clear. This is, this is just part of my long-term plan of vengeance uh, at Mark based around this movie schedule for 2018. Yes! Revenge! You did this. You did this, you son of a bitch. You changed Skype on me. I encourage <laughs> Skype to change. Okay. <laughs> All right, so I'm assuming we've done all the intros. How, like, where we were just about to jump into the first episode. Terrific. <laughs> Let's get started. Uh, okay, so Punisher picks up where uh, Daredevil season two more or less left off. Uh, Frank is sort of mopping up what's left of who he deemed a part of the plot to murder his family, at least as that, that he knows at that time. And then he, uh, he finishes up that bit of work and then goes kind of not goes into hiding as such, but takes on a new identity, starts working construction, starts to live, uh, try to live his life, you know, as, as best he can try to stay off the radar, that sort of thing. We have a lot of people on tonight, so I don't want to talk too much about what's going on with the plot. Let's just sort of round robin. Uh, thoughts on the first episode, Sean? Um, sorry, I was eating a pretzel during, during all the talking about the Skype issues. Uh, my thoughts on it are 
I love that. I love that opening. First off, just it was hard for me not to just giggle and clap with joy at uh, Frank Castle sending that bullet across the border uh, <laughs> uh, from, from, from El Paso to complete his assassination. But like I like I said, the opening it wasn't what I expected because I expected sadistic, borderline, gleeful murder machine, Frank Castle. I didn't expect, I didn't anticipate most of the first episode focusing on kind of a broken man without a mission. Uh, It it was really kind of taking the Punisher right out of his element from the beginning, right out of everything that we saw in the second season of Daredevil that had already defined him for the Netflix audience. So by doing that, it already kind of had me thinking, okay, this is clearly not going to be a typical Frank Castle outing. Um, I'm, I'm genuinely interested to see you, where you go with this. What are you building him up to? So good way to start, good way to kind of not just keep me off my toes, but kind of set me on my ass right from the beginning. Okay, um, Ronnie, one of the things they set up right in the first episode is Curtis Coyle, who is a former Navy Sark, SARC, rather, and he runs a PTSD support group for the veterans. Uh, He plays a pretty big role in the whole series. Uh, You get to meet some of the people in that group who will go on to play bigger roles later on in the show. Uh, What did you think of that element of not just the first episode, but really the series, you know, the, the series has something to say about vets and they say it pretty loudly. What did you think of the writers of this and the showrunners deciding to put that into the Punisher TV show? Um, it was, well, it was an interesting and I feel, um, a needed element because (laughs) you look at, this, uh, you look at the character, you look at the man behind it. I mean, we can read all the comic books we want, and uh, no matter whether he has powers or not, uh, Frank Castle is sort of superhuman. Um, a regular man is not, you know, no matter you know who he's taking, uh, it, it, no matter what his mission, no matter what, he's going to need somebody to talk to. Um, so it was really, it was, it was cool to see. Um, that he had this friend and the bond that they shared, you know, he, you know, they call each other brother for goodness sakes. I mean, um, so I, I thought, you know, it shows, it shows the bond that, uh, that, you know, my, my dad was in the military and it just shows the bond that they have, um, through the crap that they've seen and, you know, and may have had to do. Uh, the other person that we meet is Dinah Madani, and she's a Homeland oh, yeah. Security agent. <laughs> I'm just, hang on, I'm getting to you. Um, we need Dinah Madani, she's a Homeland Security agent. Uh, through her, we see the video that plays a huge part of this series, which is uh, Frank's unit torturing a Afghan police officer and then Frank subsequently murdering him in cold blood. 
she is investigating against the wishes of her superiors who done what, where, why, and how. Uh, what do you think of that plot thread, that character, uh, that whole bit of business here uh, as we start off in episode one, Rob? Oi. Um, God. There's, there's things about Agent Madani I want to say that I don't know if I should just front load all of this or if you want to wait until we kind of take this episode by episode. But, well, for one thing, she wears the wrong badge, and it kills me just every time I see that <laughs> stupid thing. Like, again, I'm a detail person, so the fact that she's wearing an ice badge rather than a DHS badge, it drives me up the frickin' walls. There's some really, really uneven and uninteresting writing that goes into her character. And it unfortunately hampers you know, what they're trying to do with her and her part of the narrative. Having this, you know, the existence of this video evidence of various crimes and improprieties committed by the United States government... Uh, I mean, rogue agents, actually, it's expressed very clearly later that these were not sanctioned actions by anyone uh, other than our big ba- one of our two big bads for the series. It winds up serving as a decent enough MacGuffin. It's... And you do need some kind of inciting incident, I understand that. Um... My gripe with... I'll save this for... I think it's episode two or three that Madani's character writing goes off the rails. And I don't want to bash the actress too much because there's a lot of... Again, there's some issues I have with the writing more than anything else. And I'll bring that up when we get to it. But for the purposes of just introduction... Eh. I mean... Sure, she's just kind of there. She's marginally better than the average exposition dump. (laughs) <laughs> okay uh, lastly we, we, we won't see these characters again because they're all going to get buried in cement <laughs> a, a big part of this episode sort of getting our feet wet getting us reintroduced to Frank and really you know setting the tone for the, for the show is his engage, is Frank's engagement with these other construction workers who are doubling as criminals. They've, they've got a job that, they, that they're that they trying to do for some extra money. Um, there's a new guy on the job site who tries to befriend Frank, at the time known as Pete, who's also involved with them. He just wants to be loved. Uh, this all sort of boils over where Frank not only ends up killing all of them, but... Uh, kills, uh, as a nod to welcome back Frank, the trade that we covered on Source Material, goes and kills a bunch of Manucci's crime family. Manucci! <laughs> that's what this whole series was missing, was Manucci. You know, we'll, we'll talk about that later. Uh, he kills a bunch of people related to the Nucci crime family. But go ahead, Jesse. Let, let, let's finish talking about episode one. And just what, what did you think of this arc to get our feet wet? Oh, man. Let me tell you. This, you're you're waiting for the Punisher to unleash. You want to see him. You know what he's capable of. So, 
you watch this one guy bully the other, and then he, of course, is bullying Frank, and you're just waiting for Frank to unleash hell upon these guys. But no matter what they do to him, you know, he just kind of takes it in stride. And it's when they start messing with the other guy that tried to become his friend that, okay, Tide's going to take a turn. And one of my favorite parts about this episode was not where, uh, or this arc, I guess I should say, it was not where, you know, the violence, the brutal violence that occurred with a sledgehammer, mind you. Um, But when my wife looked at me and she said, he's going to fuck them up. Now, my wife, (laughs) (laughs) my wife don't know Frank Castle from a hole in the ground, but she knew what this character was capable of. And the way that John Bernthal was portraying him, uh, she was just waiting. And I was like, this is going to get good. We're, we're going to have a good time. And man, oh man, when he does, I, I mean, you're cheering for him as he's like taking the face off of one of the guys and burying the sledgehammer into it. I mean, it's gruesome, it's bloody, it's over the top, and it lets you know that, okay, this isn't going to be a Mamby Pamby Punisher show. This is going, you're going to get what you want. You want to see blood, you want to see guts. Here it is. Get ready. Are you going to get it every episode? We'll have to see. All right. Well, um, to me, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say it was kind of fading everybody's. Yes. I don't want to say appetite, but Blood appetite for, for punisher. Yeah, for the for <laughs> punisher violence. They're like, all right, all right. We know what you came for. Here's a little bit. Hold mm-hmm. on. Just wait. So, but we'll give you we'll give you what you want in the first episode, but just you know, wait for the payoff. We got a story to tell. Like Clutch yeah, said, don't worry, my... it's, don't worry, it's coming. It's one <laughs> of the things that I really like about this episode. In hindsight, it really does set up the totality of the series in the sense that there is certainly violence, but it's spaced out in such a way that it still carries weight, and there is. There's a lot of time mm-hmm. for you know people, the actors to act. There's a lot of character moments. It's not a running batch of mayhem. And the first episode does a really good job of you know even though you don't know it because you're only at the first episode, introducing kind of the pacing that the whole show is going to go at as it progresses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to say one get, other thing I- about that about that scene at the end when he goes crazy with the sledgehammer as a fan of violence, mind you, I, not only do I love that, this whole show does an excellent job of selecting music to go with uh, big moments like this. And they chose some really interesting, uh, kind of death metal to go with that scene, (laughs) which not my personal taste, but it fit the overall, it fit what was happening. Oh yeah. you get a lot of that, you get a lot of that throughout this series. Uh, there's one I have a lot to say about. I believe it was episode ten, and the and you know the musical choices that they made along in that episode as well go along with this. But I really did want to take a moment and just praise whoever was responsible for that because they did a really excellent job throughout this whole series of finding appropriate music, be that purely orchestral or stuff with you know, lyrics to it. All right, uh, just because we, we lost so much time at the beginning with uh, various malfunctions and whatnot, I'm going to keep this going. 
But um, let me give my ten words or less here on episode one. I really like kind of the slow beginning. Um, You know, it you have the rapid fire, uh, him taking out the rest of the, you know, closing the book on where we left him at the end of Daredevil season two, and then sort of the tacit admission of okay, he he's won the fight. We're done here. And he just, he just has to live now, which is great. Cause that's kind of where he'll end up at the end of this, at the end of the series, you know, everything kind of comes back full circle. He thinks he's done and he gives up being the Punisher. I really loved, probably my favorite part of the episode is him other than him going crazy with a hammer, like Thor, um, <laughs> is him burning, the, burning the Punisher emblem, it's burning his slack jacket mm-hmm. saying, okay, I don't need this anymore. You know, it, I like the fact that that, that the writers uh, made as part of his character the, the he doesn't have this need to always be the Punisher. Something has to get get him going, which takes us into episode two, where we get more of Micro. We have a re, reunification with Karen Page, who I'll tell you, I hated Karen Page in Daredevil, but I really liked her in this. Like, I, I don't. I'm not quite sure what they did with her character. Maybe we'll talk about it, especially in, when we get to like 11 and 12 um, and that whole bit. Uh, but they, ma- they made her stronger and less naggy in The yeah. Punisher. And I really, really liked that character turn for her. I also dug the, the kind of, you know, will they, won't they romance between her and, and Frank. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, but we meet, as far as that goes, Mike it's Rose. important to remember that this is Karen post the death of Matt Murdock in The Defenders. Bear in mind, death is in quotation marks there, but... Um, True. So, Micro is a former NSA analyst, uh, was killed while resist, allegedly resisting arrest. The story about his death, however, was never released because Homeland Security agent in charge, Carson Wolf, personally shut it down. Uh, after visiting Micro's wife, Sarah, and bonding over the grief they feel for their lost loved ones, Frank tracks down Wolf and breaks into his home, where he elicits a confession about his involvement in Micro's quote-unquote death before snapping his neck. Let me stop there. Sean, let's talk a little mm-hmm. bit about Micro, and then about uh, <laughs> our, our one great action scene in this episode, where you have uh, Frank versus Carson Wolf. Mm-hmm. Okay, which which part of the episode do you want to talk about specifically? Um, I'm letting you. I'm, I, I kind of threw a couple things out there. I wanted to just get your reaction. Oh. <laughs> what do you What do you want to react um, to? I, you know what? I like the fact that this season was as much micro story as it was Frank's, and. As someone who's not quite as intimately familiar with the Punisher comics as probably you and Jesse and Ronnie are, I don't know exactly where exactly where he goes, kind of from where he starts out with Frank. But I could see that to a certain extent he does end up becoming sort of Frank's anchor to his humanity at some points, and occasionally perhaps even exasperating him. As you expect a good partnership to, they sometimes bring the best out of each other. 
and I don't know. I'm not sure really what to say about it because, yeah, well, on the other hand, well, it's an important episode in that it introduces the two of them. It it brings them together. It's a little while before we get to the really meaty stuff of their relationship. I really enjoyed the interrogation scene in the house for while it while it lasted. It's <laughs> um, it's it still wasn't quite up to the the full bur- the full burning white hot Frank Frank Castle that I was quite expecting. Uh, so I think I was still a little sort of I don't want to say I was put off by the first episode but still sort of reeling from having my expectations shaken in that I'm having to see him suddenly do everything so much differently than how he did things in the second season of Daredevil Uh, he's mostly got fewer resources at his disposal uh, in terms of in terms of weapons, in terms of sometimes free, sometimes the freedom to operate and move as he pleases, he's having to kind of be a half measure Punisher if there is such a thing. This is probably about as close as it gets as it gets to that. So it was interesting to see these these two supposedly dead men. Teaming uh, up to kind of try and reclaim a little bit of their reclaim of lives they had lost, or, or I should say, Micro's case, reclaim his life, and Frank's case, uh, try to deal with this guy who seemingly wants to prevent him from getting out of his. So, I don't know. I'm not sure when it comes to that one specific topic, really, that I have much else to add except that. It was well done. It continued to build on where the first episode left off, and the chemistry between them was enough that right off the bat, I was left wanting to go, okay, okay, show me more. Let's see where the let's see where the rest of this goes. So it was, it was there. It, it, it wasn't the one always seen, seen from uh, the second episode of Daredevil, but. I mean, it was still an outstanding fight scene to kind of headline that whole episode. Jesse, you're one of the more familiar people with Punisher. Punisher. Um, Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Sure. How close did they get micro? How close did they get micro? How close? uh, Yeah, how how close is the character of micro? Okay, well... Okay. Well, let me uh, let me uh, tell you that this was an interesting part of the show for me because I knew that we were going to get to see how Micro and the Punisher became friends, and that's something that I didn't know much about in the in the comics themselves. Micro in the comics was just this—I I don't know—he was he was like this—he uh, was helping Frank out, but I didn't know why. And, and it's not like I was reading these issues back to back, and I might have missed something at some point. But he seemed to always be the guy that helped Frank out. Why? I never knew. Uh, but they didn't seem to really dive into the uh, either the emotional attachment that he had as to why he was doing this. So I really didn't know a whole lot about the backstory. 
physically, Micro was this, you know, this. Almost, I would probably compare him to me. He was probably a little bit bigger than I was, and I'm a big guy. Uh, and I'm not. I'm not talking about height either. I'm talking about width here, ladies and gentlemen. Um, and you know, he he was just your typical hacker dude that could could help uh, help Frank out whenever he needed to. Uh, but he always they were. <laughs> I was so excited when they brought in the Punisher van. For some reason, I always I always. Um, I always associated Micro with the Punisher van, just because a lot of the comics I've read, you know, Micro get the van or something like that. But, you know, this was more of an in-depth look at the character of Micro than I was ever familiar with. So this was all brand new to me. So somebody else might know better. Ronnie, uh, you want to add anything about the, the Micro character? Micro yeah, it was definitely a reimagining of Micro because, um, just like Jesse said, um, he, he physically looked nothing like he did in the comic books. Um, if you if you want to take a look at what he looked like in the comic books, look at the Punisher Warzone movie where Wayne Knight played Micro. There you go. Um, so uh, that's more along the lines of what I'm used to uh, Micro looking like. Um it, as far as, you know, Micro was always a super intelligent, like like Jason said, hacker um, that was always Frank's eyes and ears. Um, always found out where he could find more, more weapons. He tricked out, you know, Punisher's battle van, um, the whole nine. Uh, so as far as they stayed true to the character of Micro of being the, the – the, <laughs> I'd say it like this, but being the brains of the outfit and, and, and Frank Moore, the brawn. Um, mm-hmm. But it was definitely a, a, a new take on him because I think the reason in the comic books, if I'm not, if I'm not, if I'm wrong, um, somebody please uh, correct me, but I think Micro's son uh, was killed uh, or got involved in, 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 uh, in crime in some way. I think it was, it was definitely somebody in his family. I think it was his son because later on, um, they in in uh, more recent issues, he has to. Uh, he, it's actually Frank versus Micro, um, which was kind of sad. Ooh, but, that um, is sad. That's like it, yeah, these are two brothers breaking up. Come on. Yeah, and um, so that's why he got uh, involved with him. But um, so definitely the the whole analyst and and. Uh, faking his death and things. It was a reimagining of the character and making him this tall, neurotic, neurotic guy, you know, um, other than the um, the shorter, sassy guy that uh, Frank usually deals with. Um, was was a different take, and uh, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I'm, I'm not I'm not uh, you know opposed to reimagining characters to make their backstory a little more, you know, uh, uh, a little more diverse. But Yeah, they did this um, one. Well. If you want to see, yeah. If you want to see more like the comic book character, watch Punisher Warzone, which actually, in my opinion, is the better of the, the movies. Um, but they did a really good job with this one, uh, with, with reimagining the character of Micro. He has a really great line in this to try to convince Frank as to why they need each other. And he says, you know, every missile needs a guidance system. And I, and I thought as, yeah. the, uh, as the episodes move on, 
I thought that was very, very apt description of their relationship, especially the amount of damage mm-hmm. Frank can do. Uh, Rob, real quick, and I mean really, 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 really quick. We meet Billy Russo, who will go on to become Jigsaw, uh, the other the big bad in this. What did you think of that character? Um, I, I found it somewhat... Ah, ironic's not really the right word, but I got a significant laugh out of the first part of this movie when people kept uh, calling Frank Castle a hipster. And then, to kind of augment that, we get this interpretation of Billy Russo, who, while certainly not a hipster, is in, in terms of physical presentation, is every bit the, like, turbo douche that exists in that age bracket, from his haircut to his suit cut to his demeanor. And see, it's a real credit... See, see if I can, if I can interject real quick, I... That was one thing that kind of started getting on my nerves. I started wondering if whichever writer wrote that particular script kept in kept using the word hipster without really looking up what it actually means. Uh, Frank, in some of the beginning part, does resemble a lot of the hipsters that wander around Brooklyn nowadays. <laughs> I, thought, I thought he more represented the homeless. <laughs> Maybe well, maybe a little bit. In, I'll give you in terms of in terms of the beard and long hair, sure. But I mean, mo- most of the hipsters that I've hipsters that I've met uh, between my time as major cities go, living in Columbia and Kansas City, Missouri, and Phoenix, Arizona, uh, they're definitely much more sharply dressed than Frank. Uh, some of that's geographic. Some of it is a waitress that is clearly from a model that doesn't necessarily understand what hipsters are. I, I uh, guess because I didn't get a hipster vibe at all. Not neither did I, but it, neither did I. But uh, the thing I wanted to say about Russo and uh, it's a severe credit to the actor that when he is put in positions and to the writing as well. There's a certain, I don't know if it's generation, I don't know if it's a mindset or whatnot, but I see someone that looks like he does, and I instantaneously form a relatively low opinion. And again, we all prejudge. There's only so much that we can, as long as you're aware of it and you can try to work around it, but people who, you know, wear, again, hairstyle, facial hair, suit cut, the whole nine yards. Like, I just look at you and I, I look at people like that and I think, God, you're a jackass. (laughs) <laughs> what? And I, I do. It's just maybe it's just me. But the actor then, when he is put in circumstances where he gets to show that he is more than this, that a lot of the reason behind his presentation is that he comes from nothing and has worked extraordinarily hard to become successful and is now simply emulating things that are trendy around him. That is, that's a lot to his credit. I really like that. There's a lot of characters in this show that for the first six or seven episodes or so, you don't know where they fall. Yeah. Uh, 
there's I mean, a, I, there is I, I inevitable rev- reveals, but there's a lot of okay. Do we really trust Billy, or is he going to wind I, up turning on us to be t- to be typical? There's Madani's partner that you're not quite sure, you know, again, because you know somebody's going to screw you. That's just the way these mm-hmm. things are written, and you don't quite know who it is. And then they introduce uh, Madani's mentor, and you're not sure what side of the fence he falls on. And I I liked that. I liked that they kept you off balance. They engendered a little bit of the paranoia that the characters are feeling trying to figure out you know, who can we trust when dealing with something like this uh, you you and i will have to agree to disagree on that one i think i mean I, i'll even disagree with the notion that um that even billy russo uh kind of fits the definition they they gave him again sorry to kind of beat a dead horse with the hipster thing but no no i <laughs> Most of the hipsters I've met will pay exorbitant amount of mon- amounts of money to look poor. <laughs> um, especially, good God, especially the trust fund hipsters. Um, but oh, I, I, there wasn't really anybody that kept me on my toes all that much. I, and again, having no knowledge of the Punisher lore, I, I knew there was a character named Jigsaw, and I kind of put two and two together in the, at the very end of the series. But yeah, I knew that there was something up with Russo almost from the second they introduced him. That yeah, I'll, I'll it, second that on obvious. my end as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know... Telegraphed it, uh, telegraphed it so hard, you know, the founders of Western Union probably sat up in their grave and said, damn. Um, <laughs> but everybody else, no, I thought it was, I thought it was pretty clear straight down the line where everyone was aligned. Um, I, I guess you could say I never got the feeling they were trying too hard to swerve me on something. You know, not that not that that's a bad thing. Sometimes things can still play out entertainingly, despite your have, despite your knowing crystal clearly exactly where where they're going. But I, well, go ahead, Sean. Sorry. Yeah, I was gonna say, but 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 was very much a shock. Uh, a few actions in terms of oh god, I can't believe he just got he just got away with that. Maybe, but. Maybe it's just the difference in my in my people instincts, but there weren't all that many sur- actual patent surprises to be had over the course of the show. I thought I was going to say I watched that trailer so many times. There there was a point where I think they showed Billy Russo walking away from an explosion in the trailer, and mm-hmm. I honestly think that might have swayed me to go okay don't try that dude subconsciously because i don't i you know i i don't remember going i didn't analyze it like with a fine-tooth comb i just remember seeing him walking away from an explosion with a smile on his face and i was like that that doesn't sit that didn't sit right with me so that might be something where the trailer kind of spoiled it for me here's the other thing i did not know jigsaw's real name as a, you know i'm supposed to know comic books here ladies and gentlemen but i just hopped onto the wikipedia and comic book uh, the comic books, his name is Billy Russo. So I didn't even put two and two together till the very end. 
Uh, I just uh, think Jigsaw. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, 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 yeah, Jesse. Somewhere else in Ohio, Cole Marantet weeps for you. <laughs> yes, I can hear. I can hear his sorrow. <laughs> um, one thing that I will say about the Billy Russo character is, I see. I see. My problem is I spoil a lot of things for myself because I I will watch this or the Runaways or uh, the Gifted. And as I watch the show, I'll go through the Wikipedia page and see which characters in the show have, have links elsewhere, letting me know that they are characters in the comic book. So as soon as he showed up, and I'm like, and who's Billy Russo? And oh, like, oh you're Jigsaw. Terrific. <laughs> uh, well, when did that happen? Damn internet. But, but what, I'll say this. I guess because I ruined it for myself in episode two upon meeting the character, every time I saw him banging Madani, I was very uncomfortable. <laughs> I was like, this is, you know, you just want to yell into the TV, don't do it, Madani, <laughs> he's the enemy. So um, that, that might have actually helped my enjoyment of his creepiness and his villainy was, know, was knowing that ahead of time. Um, because I don't know if I would have picked up that he was, you know, at, or early on if he was one of the bad guys without reading it first. Uh, let's talk, let's, let's get into episode three. Let's move this along. Now, this episode, I feel like is a necessary evil. I, I'm not even going to read the synopsis for this because there's, there's two parts to it. One is the very long, very drawn out, naked <laughs> questioning of micro tied to a chair and then there's the flashback to Frank and Billy in Afghanistan and uh, what led to Zubair's death. So let, let's break this in half. Let's first deal with uh, Frank torturing Micro in the chair. Um, I'm going to go to you first, Robert. I'm going to just put out a statement about how I felt about it and let you respond to that with your own thoughts. But... I said this was a necessary evil. I think uh, I think if Frank had too easily trusted Micro, uh, it wouldn't have been believable. So I think there needed to be an episode just spent on getting you know getting over that hump. But this also felt like it went on forever. And thank God for the flashback stuff because at least it broke it up. But this is one I couldn't wait to end. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, I have a comparison here that uh, I'm not entirely sure how helpful it'll be for a lot of people out there, but in terms of this being necessary, yeah, you do have to have the, because these are not trusting people. Like just their fundamental natures are mistrustful of other human beings, especially new people. Uh, You know, Frank's never quite sure who he can trust. Micro's living in a glass jar because a lot of important people want him dead. So you do need the, you know, the bonding experience. And in this instance, it comes through, you know, (laughs) uh, I can't even really call it torture because there's not a lot of it. Uh, Frank actually has a great line about... You know, torture you, being more about time than about physical pain, which is true, incidentally. You tie me to a chair naked, I'm going to call it torture. You don't even have to hit me. 
Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> the low bar starts here at the low bar. <laughs> Uh, but there's a a circumstance that, is, while different, there's a bit of similarity in terms of where they where the characters are supposed to wind up, and it comes from God help me, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, uh, the mm-hmm. second season, which is most commonly known for the superb evil that is Angelus. There's a bit right before I forget the actor's name. David Boreanaz. one of the no, 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 the judge. I, I can never remember. It's, it's a Baldwin, but it's not a famous Baldwin. It's like Adam. Adam plays Baldwin, Jane yeah. as well. Anyway. Yes, that's Adam the, the point of the judge is he is the, the evil counterpart of righteous justice, and he touches you, and any humanity that you have is burned out, and if you're, there's too much humanity, it actually physically incinerates you, and... There's plenty of characters that he you know, either touches or his presence as he becomes more powerful will do this to, including a couple of the bad guys, this being Spike and Drusilla, who he frequently says your affection for each other is nothing but human weakness. If I were to touch you, you would die horribly. The whole point of this character, and he exists for all of like three episodes. Well, he, they build him up a little bit. He exists for like two episodes. His real purpose is revealed when... Angel loses his soul and goes to the hideout of Spike and Drusilla. Because had he not, if we don't have this objective measurement of, you know, Angel no longer having a soul and being a giant sack of crap, incredibly entertaining to watch, but still, then you get a bit, you would wind up having a bunch of, no, you really do need to trust me. No, I don't trust you. You've got a soul. No, you really should. Look, I'm doing evil, and you're only sort of doing evil. We'd get that whole back and forth. Instead, you have this character who can just physically touch him, look back and go, no, there's no humanity left in him, and then walk off, and we have now reestablished the relationship necessary for him to carry out being evil for the rest of the season. It's a clever enough plot device to actually circumvent what is essentially the point of this episode. And that's all of their getting together and all of the exposition and all of the inter and all of that stuff. Not everyone, and for all of Joss Whedon's many, many faults, he's a relatively clever writer when it comes to tinkering with convention. So here we clearly did not have anyone willing to monkey around with how do we potentially mitigate needing to have this, so instead we just get it. Um, go ahead, uh, Jesse. Why don't you weigh in here on the uh, the Frank and Micro stuff, and then we'll go to Ronnie and Sean about the uh, flashback stuff, the Afghanistan oh. stuff. Go ahead, Jesse. Yeah, you gotta build... <laughs> it's a weird way of kind of building this strange relationship. You kind of said it best. Frank doesn't trust this guy as far as he can throw him. Uh, And there's not much else other than to just kind of beat the living crap out of him until you know what you want to know. Now, he doesn't take it that far. Uh, He, it looks like he's going to, and I, you know, you question yourself, is he going to do this? Is he going to, uh, is, is, is there a possibility that he's going to do this to micro and, and leave him a bloody mess? Uh, and what you get, you don't see that. 
the, the good thing is they're kind of they strip it down to nothing, just like micro, uh, and, and they got to start somewhere. Uh, so, you know, if you can't trust a man when he's naked in front of you, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Can I just say that there's, th- th- this also like kind of messes with the, an exchange between these two later when they're both kind of drunk and micro looks at Frank and goes, you want to know something weird? I'm hung like a moose. And I wanted Frank, <laughs> even in his quasi inebriated state to go, no, you're not. I've actually seen you naked. <laughs> uh Here's what I'll I'll say about that whole thing, other than it, it felt like it just went on forever. I did like the fact that they don't make Micro just a sniveling rat. You know, yeah. he's he he gets Frank. You know, he, he they go through the bit about you know, like, oh, if you don't let me check in every once in a while, the place is going to blow up. And that's actually not what was going to happen. Something else was. And he goes through a couple of paces like that, and then... He uses the opportunity of Frank falling, you know, you know, of lulling Frank into a false sense of security to get out of the situation, you know, and knocks Frank out. And, you know, and it's basically like, will you please come to your senses? If I wanted you dead, you'd be dead by now. You know, yeah, the, the follow up line I, he has where, you know, Frank, if you really want to fix the problem you find yourself in, you do need me because I'm just one. I'm one spook and I just took you out and could have ended you. You clearly do need someone yeah. like me. Right. So, so this isn't, and this is a horrible comparison, but it's the first one that came to my mind. He isn't Rob Schneider from Judge Dredd, where he's a, you know, just a useless, sniveling piece of nonsense. You really you know, all, that's, that's Mark, to him. all you had to say was he's not Rob Schneider, because that's <laughs> all right. Rob Schneider is. <laughs> the role is irrelevant. That's Spe- just Rob Schneider. Specifically in Judge Dredd, you know. I, um, or for that matter, uh, Demolition Man. I think uh, it was the same deal there. But uh, no, the, my, Micro, I feel like, is a yin to Frank Chiang, and in many ways is equal. You know, while, while Frank, and they even say in the episode, in, um, in the series, Frank is sort of a blunt instrument, and as Michael calls himself, he's the guidance system. They are on equal footing in, in their own special ways. Let's talk about – let's get Ronnie in here. Uh, Ronnie, why don't you react to the flashback stuff where we get to see the relationship between Frank and Billy in Afghanistan, and we get to see what all led up to Zabayer uh, being shot in the head. Uh, the relationship between Frank and Billy was definitely another new uh, thing. You know, it was, it was written specifically for the uh, – for the series, to my knowledge, because I don't think they were, uh, he and Jigsaw ever um, served together in the military. Um, from what I remember, he was uh, he was a uh, more of a mafia mafioso kind of a kind of a fellow, just an uh, organized crime leader uh, with a jacked up face. <laughs> I say it like that, but uh, mm. but. Um, um, as far as the flashbacks, I mean, uh, this was part of the story to me. Um, I mean, it's necessary to get a background and to, to lead into these characters and everything, but I was kind of, after a while, I just wanted to go, yes, we understand that there were some bad things that happened. Can we just agree that? 
you know, that that it happened and, and we have to resolve this. Um, I don't want to say it was boring. It wasn't boring. It was just one of those things I was like, oh, let's kind of get to the point. Uh, if you if, after a if, while. Yeah. Uh, I just want I just wanted it to be resolved, um, and then you know get to the <laughs> get to the Punisher murder things, but um, <laughs> make with I, the I, killing. I, let's I, go. Make yeah, <laughs> make with the killing. Come on, let's do this. Um, but um, they they kind of just didn't have an effect on me really. I mean, other than setting up the the fact that. Um, uh, ever so, you know, as soon as he was introduced, you know, I didn't realize, uh, I myself didn't realize that he was going to be Jigsaw. I mean, I, um, as much as I like to say that I, I do know about comic books, I don't know that much <laughs> as far as, you know, his real name and everything. It didn't, it didn't dawn on me that that's who that was. Um, but when he was introduced, I was like, mm, something ain't right about this cat. And, um, I- so... I have a really quick question for you, Ronnie, and I, I, want, I want you to answer the question quickly because then I want to use the transition into getting some thoughts from Sean. So, Sean, listen up here. Um, they, they go out of their way to, get, to make Frank a complicated character, a complex character, in the sense that, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but in the comics, uh, the Punisher... He's driven to murder uh, criminals in the street because criminals killed his family. Uh, he's just, and in that sense, he's a sympathetic character. Prior to that, there was no revelation of anything particularly horrifying that he had done. He's, we'll call him a victim. Uh, a better way of saying it might be survivor. This, in this series, they went well out of their way to make Frank uh, an, uh, not necessarily an unsympathetic character, but... Not a hundred percent sympathetic either. They made him very complex. He's the executioner in the Zabayer footage, and you know you can use the old adage of well he was just following orders. Well, what what's a man to do? You know, and of course <laughs> as I watched in the Runaways episode tonight, yes, so do the Nazis. It doesn't that doesn't really work. So I, I'm just curious. Is if you know anything about uh, the Punisher and the comic books being like this Punisher, and uh, then I want to get Sean's thoughts on them taking taking a hero character for which they named an entire show after, and saying, you know, he's not altogether a great guy. He's really messed up, and he's done terrible things, and it and he's somebody who's really struggling with a lot of that. He's not just rage incarnate, you know, and you know, and a pretty cool fruit who really knows where his uh, towel's at. Go ahead, Deron. Um, what part did you want me to comment on? Oh, for God's sakes! <laughs> Repeat everything you just said. Mark. Galaxy reference. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to uh, TV Party started... tonight. Tonight, our, our favorite show with Punisher. <laughs> starting with episode one. <laughs> I started I, uh, thinking about what you wanted Sean to answer, and I was like, man, you know, and I forgot. He wasn't uh, listening. Um, <laughs> God damn you! Um, I want to hey. know if they made him this com- this complicated in the comics. Oh no, n- not to my knowledge, not to my not to my remembrance. Uh, everything I've read, Punisher, Punisher Warzone, uh, the newer Punisher, and it's always been um, he's a he's a he's a revenge machine um, because bad guys killed his family. He kills bad guys. 
And right. um, I, I've never really known him to be as complicated as he is in this. And obviously you're going to realize that he's not altogether there or altogether good guy, no matter whether it's in this series or in, in the comic books, because he murders criminals indiscriminately, you know, whether it be, um, you know, the low level drug dealer or the, the crime boss, it doesn't matter to him. Um, I read the, there was a big thing called the Punisher back to school special. And, uh, uh, and I got it, and it was just a, yeah, I know, right? And uh, so the Punisher back to school schedule, uh, special. Um, he goes undercover as a gym teacher, and um, is the only people that he <laughs> right, right. It's one of the greatest comic books ever. I was like, this is brilliant, you know. And um, he teaches some of the kids like martial arts and stuff like that that he learned in the service, <laughs> and, uh, and and you know they all learn a good lesson at the end. Um, the more you know, but uh, it, it, but he just he goes through these drug dealers inside the school and just uh, eviscerates them, destroys them. I mean, uh, and uh, then you think about what he does to um, the higher level guys. You know, it's not a it's not a you know get your life right kind of thing. Um, you know, whether you're you know be you uh, you know 18 years old just out of high school slinging drugs, or you know or whatever, or you know you're you've been doing this for years and you and you're a seasoned criminal. It does not matter. You broke the law. I mean, and you possibly murdered people. So he's going to murder you. Um, so it, it, he's not altogether there as far as being a quote-unquote good person, it's very, you know, with him, it's very black and white. It's very, uh, it's right or wrong. You you did it or you didn't. Um, we see that, we saw that in uh, in Welcome Back Frank. Um, he was going to let that one guy go, and he's like, I'll give you one chance. And the guy said, you know, I, I survived this. You know what that means. Um, we're sitting on enough, enough product to set us up for life. And he comes back in and breaks the guy's neck. You know, he's like, well, shouldn't have given you a chance. You know, you you done messed up, so I'm going to kill you now. Um, not even a tap on the shoulder, I, I, I kind of thing. It's that no, you you done messed up, you dead. So um, it, it, it's you know it, he's never really been a good guy, but uh, but in this one he's more. It's not so much that he's a good you know a. a Worst person. He's just more complicated. There's more. There's more feelings <laughs> to deal with with this Punisher than there is in the comic books. So, Sean, what I what I want you to react to is this notion of creating a star character, a lead character, who's this complex, this morally ambiguous. Somebody who straight up murdered a cop in Afghanistan because he was a soldier and he was quote doing his duty but is also somebody who is out for revenge for the uh, murder of his family. Oh, well, thank you for wording my question in a direct fashion, Mark. My God, I feel, <laughs> I feel kind of bad for Ronnie. <laughs> look, I, look that, stay with me, people. I, it's a roller coaster of a podcast. <laughs> you keep up. Well, what that that, that hot night, mess everybody. that hot mess was a lesson right out of the Phil Donahue school of rambling interview questions. My God, 
nothing wrong with what I did. I feel, nothing. Go, I feel like go I, ahead. I, I feel like I should have mapped that on scratch paper with a number two pencil. Um, well, let me tell you something, Gene Mean. Um, I'm quite okay with what they with what they did with Frank. You also excuse me because that kind of went on for a while, and I kind of lost my train of thought a little, just a little bit. Um, because I was kind of formulating my answer while I was listening, uh, while I was listening to Ronnie's, and I think it kind of ties into why I also do enjoy the flashbacks and the fact that in the comics, yeah, Frank is Frank is the type that a number of times the the bad guys he faces, a number of them will occasionally just in their last moments on this mortal coil muster enough of a backbone to point out, wait a second, asshole, you're no different from me. You're just killing indiscriminately. What makes you so special? I mean, you're, you're, you're taking lives without any, con- without any conscience, and Frank's answers might as well amount to, and? <laughs> yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, the, the the only difference is I'm killing bad guy. I'm killing what I see as bad guys, which generally I imagine if he would let them live just a few more seconds, the ones who, the ones who didn't just say, "Oh, you got me there. Go ahead to ride the ten spot, get it over with," would probably say, "Well, when did you get to decide who's a bad guy?" And something we'll get to I'll get to hopefully in a little bit more depth toward the end of the show is that this is not the Frank Castle from the comics. This is somebody who has done bad things, but setting up that el- that element of his backstory ties in to something else much greater that the Punisher accomplishes that None of the three theatrical movies were really intelligent enough to get across, even if they had tried, I think. And that I'll even venture to say, I don't think most of the comics that I've read have ever really bought, have ever really bothered with. But again, we'll we'll get to that because it's also something about the the Marvel Netflix universe that I'd that I'd rather bring up to get you guys' thoughts on. But in the meantime, the reason why I like the flashbacks so much and why I have no problem with the torture sequence is because it clearly illustrates what Micro can see very plainly with his own two eyes and probably the only thing that keeps him from wetting himself with fear while he's strapped to that chair. And that is that Frank Castle is a man who was simply born to walk the battlefield. In those flashbacks, we get to see Frank doing exactly what he does best in the days before you could argue that he had really truly perfected it. When when he was still at times often just simply a gun going off half cocked. And yet... What what Micro sees and what probably lends him a little bit of sense of assurance is the fact that where 
Frank is where Frank is headed and where they're both headed is going to lead him into battles that he's not remotely equipped to win, that he doesn't even know how to begin to fight. And those are the ones that Micro knows he's cut out for. Um, he gets the notion that there are places that Frank can infiltrate and things he can do that he can't, and that those things are going to need to be done if he ever wants to see his family again. And at the same time, he knows this can work because he, because he realizes that if Frank wants to keep going and he's, already a, and he's already a part of this, whether he wants to or not, and he's already probably got a price on his head, then the fact is he's going to need my skill set because he's clearly either just not smart enough or just not trained to do the things that are going to keep him alive in the end. And he proves that. He outsmarts him and plays him every single step of the way because Frank operates fantastically on instinct. But when it comes to being two or three moves ahead in a scenario in which he's not wading shins deep into blood and viscera and he's not and he's not ducking he's not ducking bullets he's kind of lost to guys who physically you know obviously he shits bigger than after a hearty meal but you know who also realized that in some scenarios if brains were dy- if brains were dynamite you know, Frank wouldn't have enough to blow his nose. Jesse, real quick, uh, go ahead and weigh in because I know you had something to say about this, and let's let's move this on because we're yeah. only on episode three. That's all right. Yeah, I I just wanted to say that there is a moment in episode three when he storms that compound and he's being besieged by all these, you know, all, all these these enemy soldiers coming at him. You can see where Frank Castle takes a very dark turn. Uh, one of the things that I've heard in the past, just, well, I guess it was just recently, somebody had explored the lore of Frank Castle in the comics, and they talk about how he was insane before his kids and wife died. And that, I think, is shown in just, there's a, it's almost a split second. I would say, it may be last, but it's, it, it, it's him going just ballistic, on this one sword, the guy's dead, but Frank is going nuts on the dude. And I think a lot hey, hey, of hey. Th- to be fair, he was hitting him in the head with a rock and you can never be entirely sure when that's actually succeeded. <laughs> you look in his eyes, look at Jehoshaphat Bernthal's eyes and you can see that <laughs> he is a man apart from himself. Uh, so I think that was the one thing I took away from this episode is it was it, it felt like Punisher born. This was where the scales tipped. This is the genesis of what comes later. All right, our next episode, I want to talk specifically now about Lewis. Lewis Wilson, who is our vet. And I want to talk to you, Rob, about um, really we can talk about the breadth of the entire series and how they deal with this with this one character. Let, let, let's do that now. As I said earlier, the Punisher speaks to the plight of the vet. 
um, how people who yeah. you know, go into in a mediocre how, fashion. Well, that's what I wanted. To, that's where I was going with this. I wanted to see how well they succeeded or did they not succeed in doing so. This not every character who was a vet is Frank Castle or Lewis. Um, you know, you have Curtis who has you know who has his issues, but he's been relatively successful in trying to move forward with his life. That's probably the that's probably the best example of somebody who who does okay after coming back from uh, overseas. But uh, talk to me about your thoughts on the Lewis character and his whole arc because he uh, literally goes up in smoke uh, at the end of his arc. <laughs> but it starts here. It it starts. His whole story is essentially he's not able to adjust when he gets home. He starts by you know. He's having nightmares. He's contemplating suicide. He decides he's going to dig a hole in the backyard because that's where he feels comfortable. Then he decides he's not going to re-enlist, but he's going to go become a, um, a private soldier for Anvil. And Curtis, you know, realizes Lewis is not doing well mentally, uh, gets to Billy Russo and says, that's a bad idea. And so that sets Lewis down this really, really violent negative path. So, Let's go ahead and react to Lewis's character and storyline. All right, let me start out with uh, there's a lot of military and law enforcement history in my family. A, a lot. Uh, my dad was in the army. His dad was in the army. Like he served in Korea. Uh, my stepmom's father is a colonel who served in Vietnam. My mom's father was in the Coast Guard. He was actually in a tank unit, I seem to recall, as well as National Guard, thank you, as well as a, like, 30-year member of the California Highway Patrol. There's a lot. I got a lot of history. I came within, I came extraordinarily close to enlisting myself. This is much, this is as Hollywood as this show gets is they want to tell, they want to try and discuss the plight of the veteran, but there's a lot of both research and appropriate facts and things of that nature that were either not researched properly or completely ignored for the sake of narrative. You could write books on the things that this show gets wrong (laughs) when it comes to the plight of the veteran. But this is okay, also give me an not example. intended to be... Well, no, don't... Whoa, 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 no, I'm not going to let you off the hook there. What are you talking about specifically? The utter lack of appropriate discussion from all the relevant parties about the aid available to some of these individuals. Uh, the character of, what, O'Connell, the angry, like, pseudo-vet who winds up getting stabbed to death by Lewis. I forget his name. Oh, Del- Delaney Williams, who was also on, ladies and gentlemen, take a drink, The, the Wire. Wire. I knew it was coming. Woo! Oh, yeah. Lord. We're <laughs> 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 yeah. drinking game on. I got cold brew tonight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, they they look they looked past a lot of that. There's a lot of resources for people suffering through what Lewis is suffering through. And Can I challenge you with the idea that not everybody takes advantage of the resources afforded to them. Not to mention 
and and I don't, I don't want to get into a debate about this, but I think it's I, I think there are some instances where people have sought resources at the VA and have found them the, the resources wanting or or un, unavailable to them. I'm not saying it's perfect, the existing system, okay. because it isn't very clearly. Okay. There's a lot that they either brush over or outright ignore in favor of getting their narrative across. And to be fair, because uh, I don't want to throw this whole thing under the bus as far as how they address this, that's not Frank's story. This is, I mean, this is a subplot that serves purpose to the overall narrative. And if this were actually about Lewis, we might get a full couple of episodes where they actually delve into in a much more intelligent and well thought out and researched and written manner what goes on for people like that. Because it's not, they went the direction that they did, for better and for worse. And again, like there's good about it in terms of how the it structures in with the overall narrative. There's bad about it if you believe this to be a common thing. Or that there's a lot... I mean, people coming back from service with these types of issues is certainly not uncommon. But going down the same path that Lewis does is deeply uncommon. And there, there's yeah, a lot more... Suggests, I don't think anyone's <laughs> suggesting that Lewis's story is normal. <laughs> yeah, and which is also which is another thing that I did appreciate. But again, there's a lot that they just. I believe a lot of veterans have actually written about this in the wake of the show. So anyone out there who wishes to, if you wish to understand more, feel you all have Google. You're all intelligent human beings. I trust you to be discerning about the information you pick up. Don't just take my word for it, please. As a catalyst Ronnie, mess- for what comes Ronnie, along later, Lewis again. serves his job. Lewis does his job admirably. I hate you, Mark. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm sorry, Robert. We were too busy doing inside jokes there. The last thing you said was Lewis, the actor who plays Lewis, does his job admirably. Is there anything else you well, want to add? The actor does a perfectly fine job. Uh, I, I do want to credit him for that. I mean, the writing and the show structure is not at all on him. He does a good job with the material that he is given, what he is told to do. And as a catalyst for some of the events that kick off that happen later down the line, he is, I mean, I struggle to say necessary, but as a catalyst for some of what for various actions that are taken, for ver- you know the realization that, uh, by the wider public that the Punisher is still alive, he's that particular bit of, you know, plot point that he serves is, I suppose, somewhat necessary to the structure of their story, but I'm largely nonplussed by his character and arc. Again, the acting is fine, but beyond that, just kind of exists. Does anyone, does anyone think that, uh, does anyone think, does anyone think that Lewis's character arc and subplot was entirely superfluous to the overall story? Like, does anyone feel like they just should have excised it out because it really wasn't necessary? Or do, does they any, could or do you all... Okay, so you do. Jesse, do you feel like it was like, why is this even here? Or did you see the purpose in it? Uh, they, their clear intent, I think, was to make you question, okay, what makes Frank different from this guy? 
I know we've kind of already asked that question earlier, but Lewis kind of put that there. Did you get the Did you get this the, the tiniest impression that that he was that Lewis was actually going to turn into Mister Payback? <laughs> I because I, I would have read that story before I, I saw the series. But I, but I swear to God, I'm looking at this. I'm just, I, and I, and I, when I kept going back to the wiki, I'm just like, tell me he turned into Mr. Payback. Tell me this is Mr. Payback. <laughs> uh, there was, he was there to make you go, okay, if the Punisher is doing this, what absolves this guy? Uh, it, because the similarities are there. Lewis flips his shit and stabs a guy to death. Shouldn't have done that. All right. <laughs> Frank did a lot of things he shouldn't have done. Uh, so shouldn't now, have done that the, one. The, the, the key that is, is that Lewis's methods are a bit different than Frank's. So uh, you know, Lewis is killing innocent people. That was that needed to be explored because they needed to show what makes this guy different from other people. Uh, trust me, we're all intelligent guys here. We we know what makes Frank different from this guy. Uh, but there may be somebody out there that's going to say, what, what's the deal? You know, he's doing the same thing. But then you got Lewis blowing up uh, innocent people. Yeah, there's another. Put it on the box. Shouldn't have done that. Um, so, yeah, it's I, – I liked it. I liked it. I liked it. The actor who plays that, I believe, is the same guy that played um, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald in, in the 11-22 Speaking of Franco – uh, the ah, Hulu. I was so hoping he would never come up again. Thanks for that. <laughs> You're very welcome. Uh, all right, I'm done. Actually, his presence actually stopped me from watching that series, and I really do enjoy the novel. So oh, thanks, ouch. Franco. <laughs> ouch. I'm actually Jeez. wondering. Did Did anyone write a review? Does anyone know of a review that was written, or if anyone has written like an op-ed about the Punisher series of sort of an eye roll, like, oh, here we go. In the age of Trump, it's the angry white man with a gun. Is there any of that uh, out there? Because I haven't gone through Mark, the Mark, that doesn't play into the there. liberal narrative. And we know that all the terrible <laughs> reviewers are stifled liberals who want to write political pieces. It's out uh, that, there. That's why I'm asking. I'm sure it's out there. Just has anyone come across it? One would assume. Like, I don't want to look for <laughs> I'm, it. I deal with that enough. Okay. Let, uh, you know what? Uh, On my day off. Let me go find a terrible review of a television series <laughs> and just stab myself in the eye with it because I don't get normally enough of that by, on a regular Tuesday. Normally, evening. by this point, I've gone through the Rotten Tomatoes stuff. Like, we, like we, with well, with Iron Fist, also there was like a bevy. I don't want to get too off topic here, just but just so you guys know where I'm coming from. When Iron Fist debuted, there was a bevy, a litany of articles that were written about whitewashing and about how rape played into the show and, 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 and all these other things. Rob and I talked about that at length when we reviewed it. Another, another night where Blog Talk Radio was fucked up and we had to do it on YouTube, if you'll recall. Um, <laughs> damn feel free you to look that up Radio. in the archives, everybody. It was a good time. Yeah, you got we, to yell at a lot of reviewers for being just terrible yeah, at their job. Yeah, we talked at length about that. So I was cute, but I hadn't seen a tremendous about, amount of what would be an obvious low-hanging fruit of an idea that, oh, you know, in the age of Trump, here we are, white, an angry white man with a machine gun, you know, you know snore, <laughs> that sort of thing. I just, I just haven't seen it, but I can't imagine it's not out there. Oh, it's One last there. time, anybody? I guarantee there were, it's there. 
Dude, there was uh, one of my good friends, I've mentioned him before, that's been on the podcast, Dean Compton, a, an anarchist by name, anti-fascist by name, as a matter of fact. Uh, and he, he shared a piece that was just scathing about how the Punisher it was a, a, a commentary about gun control also. And mm-hmm. I was like, now the thing is, is that Dean Compton is like one of the biggest Punisher fans I know. And he was calling that utter shit. So there you go. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't think, I don't think it is utter shit. And here's why. I, and I did want to transition into this. He's a minor character and he gets the shit stabbed out of him, but let's talk about him because I think his point of view is very loud on this show up until the time, up until the point that he dies. And the fact that the, the way that he dies, you know, being a fraud, I actually thought was purposely undercutting his argument. There is a very real and very present argument in this country about, and I, and I don't want to debate the subject. I want to, I want to identify the argument, if you guys are with me on this. Um, I'll pretend, I guess. <laughs> so you want to argue about it? This, no, I don't. At this point, I just want to keep, want I want to want to get to keep up with four or five, whichever one we're at here. <laughs> no, well, well, we're 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 talking about episode four here is where we get a lot of Lewis, um, you know, and we we'll talk about the car chase in just a second. I promise. Okay. But uh, Delaney Williams's argument, uh, you know, O'Connor's argument in this thing is that. You know, we as Americans are under siege by our government and by powers that be, and they are, and one of the ways in which they are attacking us is by trying to take our guns, and we need those guns to protect us. Now, the rea- now just the reality is that if you try to take on the American government, you're going to get blown up by a fucking drone. They be they they fly over, they fly over, don't they, Jesse? Uh, <laughs> what is happening? They do, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, there's it's it's a silly thought to think that you with your with your hunting rifle is somehow going to take out a fucking tank. But whatever. Um, again, I don't want to debate the argument. Um, but he, but that but that is a common enough argument in today's American conversation. And he it has and so been they for the last twenty ca- years. And they, so they write this character. He says it several times and up until the very moment that he's stabbed. And then it's sort of the characters are reacting to it in sort of an eye roll, but there really is no counter argument to it. It's just sort of out there. And then it turns out he's a fraud. And I feel like the writers were saying, see, the whole argument is shit because it's made by shitty people who don't know what they're talking about. Um, If I may, there is a bit in this show that actually goes the other direction uh, later when we introduce the – Senator, who is very much like, no, guns are terrible things. And he Mm -hmm. is presented as an equally big bag of shit. (laughs) He, uh, well, again, after being shot at, he's sort of reconsidering his position then, isn't he? I thought thought that was handled a little bit better. I don't know. What are some of your visceral reactions? All right, finish. Go ahead. uh, This, to me, reminds me of... Uh, jeez. I don't know how many of you have seen the uh, the movie that kind of launched Edward Norton as a serious actor. It's called American History X. I can only recommend yeah, one. Yeah. Uh, Edward Furlong is in I've it. I've only seen it one time. I don't think I could watch it a second time. It's too depressing. It's I've one of those movies that you only see once. Awesome. Nope. 
I've seen it dozens. It's amazing. Sure, Mark. <laughs> it's great. Oh, what Mark. Do you want from me? My, my, my comment there is not on the quality of the movie, but when that movie was released, there were several reviewers who questioned the lack of a coherent counter-liberal argument within the context of that movie. And to me, you get a bit of this, and I bring this up simply because you get kind of the same thing here in the sense that you have this character who is presented as detestable in every sense of the word, presenting an argument that a lot of people genuinely believe in. In the case of American History X, and to a degree, the same thing is true here. There's not a lot of counter-argument presented because the views espoused by the characters are so extreme, they don't actually need countering. The fact that they exist in the context that they do is enough to make any quasi-rational human being look at that and go, okay, there's clear- this is clearly not correct. I don't know. I, I, if someone who is paying attention to the national conversation, I hear his argument being bandied about by everyday people all the time. Yes, and, and would you know? And, and Mark, that, and, did you and miss I, my important heard... qualifier? <laughs> okay. I said quasi-rational. Okay. <laughs> um, we do not live just, in a rational can... world anymore. <laughs> Oh, here we go. Um, Sean, did you have a reaction to the O'Connell character played by Delaney Williams? Or was he just kind of there and really didn't buzz you one way or the other? To the O'Connell character, uh, not really. I thought he was obvious. It should be patently obvious that he was a blatant caricature. Uh, he was kind of your st- kind of your stock off the deep end right right wing conspiracy nut uh with just a touch of stolen valor scumminess uh to kind of flavor him i didn't really have so much of a reaction to him as i was kind of really paying rapt attention to see where it was that the whole arc with Lewis was going to go. Although I had a pretty damn good idea from the time that he was rejected by Anvil. Mm -hmm. Uh, So O'Connell, no. And, And again, he plays into something that hopefully I'll get a chance to get into at the, at the end of the show. But his character was, uh, a little happy tree in a bigger painting, and he was kind. Of, and he was kind of the least remarkable, the least remarkable bush on the landscape. So, so I didn't really have a whole lot to say about O'Connell. Okay, so it's, uh, episode four, which believe it or not is what we're talking about, it's resupply. Uh, and other than this stuff, which I thought was kind of more important to talk about, uh, it would go, it would be I would be remiss if we didn't actually bring up why this is called resupply. Frank needs guns, guns, yes, guns, guns, and so this whole episode revolves around Frank and Micro stealing guns 
from a, uh, a a gig that's happening with Department of Homeland Services, which ends in a fun car chase. Ronnie, give me 50 words or less on the car chase and the guns, guns, guns. Um, every every action series slash movie needs a car chase. This was this was it. That's my Indeed. take on it. Well, well, there was some bad. lovely was detail. <laughs> I, I want to bring this up. This is the episode where they uh, break in and steal their van, I believe. Uh, there's some really lovely detail yeah. in the body positioning after Frank gets done with them, and you know they bring in Micro to because they need two vehicles. And there's one guy who's like been shoved through a pinball machine. Uh, there's another who, and you really do have to have an eye for <laughs> detail. Yeah. Has some wire clippers actually shoved through his ear and into his skull. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, seeing that, I just—it's the little things in life that make me happy when I'm watching something like this. I guess, you know, for as much as there is the terrible, like again, like Madani wearing the wrong badge. Literally, she's wearing an immigration and customs enforcement badge. <laughs> <laughs> then there's Frank. Th- then there's bodies that are properly disarticulated and still bearing the wounds of whatever combat they've been associated with. So again, it's the little things in life, I suppose, that make me happy. You don't really see uh, Frank do any of that stuff either. Uh, no, correct. which is great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's it's more of the, the the things that you don't see scare you more than the things that you do see. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, him walking in the, the lone gun and then micro walking in and seeing absolute utter chaos that he left behind. It's just like, who am I hanging out with? What is, what is this man? What has he done? Um, it, I, the, I, I'm with you on that. I enjoyed that whole scene. And um, the, uh, the, the scene at the end of the car, you know, this is where, uh, he plays chicken with uh, with our uh, homeland ice agent, and uh, <laughs> they're two different things. They're fundamentally different things. <laughs> I'm like homeland ice. What? Yeah. No, homeland ice is immigration and customs enforcement. It's a complete. They, they might have like pseudo merged in one degree to one degree or another with the Department of Homeland Security after the latter's inception. <laughs> But they're they're again they are different things. You would not wear an ice badge if you're a DHS agent. You just like it's flagrant. I, I mean that's actually illegal. You are actually impersonating a federal officer. Right, down boy, down, down. Go ahead, Ronnie. <laughs> I know the one thing I'm taking away from this podcast tonight. <laughs> they are two fundamentally different things. <laughs> you giddy. Go ahead, Ronnie. The, um. Oh, the whole the the whole psychology behind the uh, behind the chicken, uh, you know, uh, behind playing chicken with <laughs> with with the agent. We'll just call her the the special agent. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna try anymore, huh? No, not at all. Um, it, it, it gives you a glimpse into you know he knows who who he's going against, and he doesn't kill cops, but he's still gonna play chicken with her. And end up destroying her vehicle and almost killing her and 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 putting her out of the picture pretty much for a short. Well, what he thinks, you know, you know. I'll tell you what. What he thinks is good. A, a long time. I had a Skyfall moment there. Rob reviewed the movie, so he knows what I'm talking about. 
But I, one of the things I, I screamed about in Skyfall was when the car, you know, they're supposed to be presenting that series of Bond movies, you know, the Daniel Craig Bonds as a little bit closer to reality than some of the sillier Bonds, you know, where he's practically an indestructible superhero. And, you know, and, and like I said, this one was supposed to be a grittier Bond. And then he has this car wreck in Skyfall where it flips the thousand and one times. And I was like, come on, that motherfucker's dead. You know, and he just gets out of <laughs> he the had car. A no car wreck in Casino Royale that should have killed him too. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think this one in Skyfall really pissed me off though. Uh, and then I, and then I watched the uh, when when Micro slams into her with the van, and you know, and the car flips over and blows up all of the Simpsons and all that shit. I'm just looking at that like, <laughs> nope, <laughs> there's no way she nope. lives through that car. I'm sorry. She's she's and not yet, even paralyzed, you know, or, or has a broken leg or anything. She's she she is like a burn victim. She has her boobs taped up in the next episode. Whoop de doo! I'm like, come on. She had broken ribs. Come on, let's get you know. Get okay. That. Um, I uh, I I, cha- I challenge you to get into a similar wreck and walk away from it the way she does. Not, I'd not rather not. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm gonna. In the interest of time, I'm going to start doubling up on some of these, or we're going to be here till midnight. Um, episodes five and six are Gunner and the Judas Goat, respectively. Uh, with Gunner, they go to Kentucky to find one of his um, one of his squad mates, uh, Agent Orange, who is also William Rollins, uh, sends a bunch of Mercs to who's shoot also some on the shield, boat. who was also in the wire. I'm fairly sure. <laughs> Hang on. No, he, no, he yes, not. Take, take a drink, Sean. The guy who, no, the guy playing William Rollins, th- that the character's name, Rawls. This guy is. This guy was not on the wire. I know everybody in the wire. Um. Anyway, we know. So they go to. They, they send a bunch of Mark to, uh, to gun down Gunner and uh, and Frank. Frank ends up getting uh, pretty much shot to shit, and Gunner ends up dead. So that's that episode. Uh, the Judas Goat. Um, spent, there's a lot of time spent on nursing Frank back to health. This is the bit where Lewis gets arrested on the steps of the courthouse, and he's unceremoniously abandoned by O'Connor. O'Connor. And to be fair, like, yeah. he was arrested for nothing. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a, that's always my favorite thing. You know, when people come in, when people come into my jail and they've been arrested for resisting without violence, and that's their only charge. Um, so, this is something similar to that. Uh, I'm just going to leave this one open. I don't have a whole lot to ask here as far as specific questions. So, just a, a very quick 10 words or less round robin. Jesse, Rob, Ronnie, and then Sean. Any reactions to Gunner and the Judas Goat? Uh, Jesse, go first. I, I just want to pose a question. How many times was... No, there's no time for questions. Oh no, no! Frank Castle was <laughs> shot, or shot in the shoulder. How many times? I mean, he got. I think he got shot in the shoulder in, in uh, a- Afghanistan or Agrabah or wherever the hell he was, Kandahar, whatever it was. Um, he got Agra- shot in the shoulder. <laughs> he got uh, shot in the shoulder. He took an arrow to that same shoulder, I think, uh, from uh, Gunner. Gunner shot him in the shoulder with a damn arrow. And I swear he takes another shot in the shoulder at some point later on in the series. And how he continues to have mobility, 
I have no idea. But Frank is a uh, victim of bad of bad setup work from the people who don't quite understand where you could shoot someone and have them survive. And so they wind up either with a blow that Shoulder. is completely unrealistically survivable, like with Micro getting shot in the chest, or oh, yeah. they overwork an area that is decidedly non-lethal but would absolutely ruin your ability to function as a human being for years, if not the rest of your life. Uh, yeah, dude. I mean, I'm like, okay, yeah, and he's pulling himself up with one arm. Like, later on, I'm sure he's going at it at some point. I'm like, dude, your shoulder's trash, man. There's no way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so how's that, Mark Radlich, for some in-depth commentary on those two episodes? I turn it over to whoever's next. That's right. I got Punish a couple of things. Sucks. Be more realistic in your injuries. Let's go ahead. <laughs> to be fair, that is not unique to this show. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. By any stretch of the it, imagination. It is a Hollywood trope. For every good guy to get shot in the shoulder, arm, leg, um, yeah, shoulder, arm, or leg, and and be completely fine once they heal up. Well, at least once, but three times in a in a yeah. series. Come on. He's Frank everybody. Anyway. Every action hero in in the history of Hollywood has Wolverine's healing factor. Move this along. Go ahead, Rob. <laughs> the, the couple of things I wanted to touch on, I really like the action sequence through the backwoods of Kentucky. There's a lot of really clever setups. Yeah. There's a lot of really great transitions in terms of camera angles. I love Micro getting involved with the drone kind of near the end once they've oh, exhausted so what they cool. can do. And suddenly they get air support such as it is. It's There's a lot of really great action through that whole bit. This is also the series of episodes where the Madani character went off the rails for me. And yeah. with Mark's description, understanding that maybe she suffered such a severe head injury that her entire personality changed for the next, like, six episodes. <laughs> um, and here's why. I, do, I want to elaborate on this because I don't want to just throw that one out there. And I've got a direct compare and contrast here as for why this bothers me. In the Luke Cage series, the character of Misty Knight, towards the end of that series, stops really following proper police procedure. She goes a little bit outside the traditional lines, and a lot of characters wind up suffering for it, and at the end she gets lectured by her boss about how you should have trusted the system. I thought it was the dumbest line from that character in that whole series, and there's some dumb lines in that series. Because they have explicitly... They have explicitly set up that this police department is not to be trusted. So lecturing a character who has already been burned multiple times about you should have tr continued to trust the system, well, how crazy am I supposed to be in terms of doing the same thing and getting the same result? By, but again, so we have a character in there who is very much law and order and has her character adjust and takes actions accordingly based on an express circumstance around her, including her own partner being outed as a dirty cop. This all makes sense. In the case of Madani, as soon as C. Thomas Howell's character is murdered, she and her partner start doing things quietly and off the books and only between the two of them, apropos of nothing. You have a character <laughs> whose one of her first actual lines of dialogue is, quote, I trust the system... Now, for no discernible reason, going off the reservation. It is terrible writing. 
and <laughs> made more so because, again, I can point to at least one other concrete example of how that same arc was accomplished in a rational, logical, relatable fashion. And here it seems more like because they didn't have the budget to afford enough extras for her to interact with. I don't know. But it, it's terrible. <laughs> it is just terrible. The, the directions that character takes drive me up the wall. And this is when they start kind of coming to a head. Uh, Ronnie? Uh, that was scathing. I mean, like... <laughs> <laughs> I don't, well, I don't know if I can follow that up. Shut up! <laughs> this is my favorite show. I don't like you anymore. <laughs> no, I agree with you because... You are not the first person to have told me that. <laughs> <laughs> there was, there was too to much of Donnie every... at some Wait, point. I mean, you just had to draw well, lines. Well, I, I couldn't, li- well, I couldn't well, like her all the time. Go ahead. Welcome to my every Tuesday, every everybody. As, as Rob shit <laughs> on everything I love. Go ahead, Ronnie. Oh, Ronnie, I don't like it. Of the Screaming Boy um, podcast. <laughs> yeah, um, I no, I I agree with him uh, to you know, well, not not to a point, but I agree with him because at some point. Um, it, you, I questioned whether she went completely insane or not, because um, <laughs> it, it, it was if it was the car wreck, if it was the fact that you know she's not getting any closer to finding out who murdered her, you know, her partner, all this other stuff. She from somebody, and I noticed that somebody says, "I trust the system." She pulls her partner and says, "We can't trust anybody. We have to do this on our own." Wait a minute. What? What do you mean? You know, it was it was just a really really um, quick transition for this character to to um, it, what's the uh, what's the female version of Johnny Law um, <laughs> Jane Law Jane. to um, <laughs> sounds good yeah, to me Jane Law to to uh, to uh, you know Mel Gibson from Lethal Weapon, you know it. it, it it was one of the things where it was like, it was this character, uh, she she was good in some aspects, but after a while, she just grated on my nerves uh, to the point of, you know, I just didn't want her involved in this at all. Uh, it, after reading the comic books, I started missing Detective Soap and Bud Plug. <laughs> and uh, um, I would rather see, uh, I would rather see a secondary story with them. Uh, than than her, you know, and 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 her getting it on with with Jigsaw there, um, uh, it, it was just it, it was too much too much of Madonna, too much of her, and uh, and this is where it really it, it took that turn for me of you know I, I'm I'm really just I'm kind of tired of her, uh, you know let's I actually I mean I won't lie to you, when she was on the screen a couple of times I fast forwarded through her part because I really was not interested in her. And finally, Sean. Oh, okay. Hold on. I hate to say it. Sean, I, I just want to... I want to give you a kickstarter, okay? Hold on. I want to give you a kickstarting point. The punch heard around okay. the world from Micro's son when he punched his sister in the face. <laughs> Did you not go, oh, oh shit? Y- oh, yeah, dude. Dude's a little punk. 
Jesus Christ with sugar cookies, that kid. No, man. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> both these two episodes, that might have been the most jarring aspect of both of them. Mm. Um, okay, and I, hate to, and I hate to say this. This may have to be my closing point for the night because I wasn't expecting this to go two full to go two full hours, and um, I got a light sleeper niece upstairs, and I got I got about twelve hours of work that I got to get to in about three hours, um, so I'll just kind of try uh, try to leave it on this as best I can. Uh, number one, I loved the assault on Gunner and Frank in the woods. Uh, I thought mm-hmm. it was fantastically innovative. It stood apart from everything else in the show in just about every way. Uh, it was it, it was tense. It was the two of them having having to work pretty much almost entirely un, entirely unarmed, and it was a great way to sort of bring him face to face with Agent Orange for the first time and let him know I'm coming for you. Um, point number two, my God, Randy Orton watched this show and envied Frank, the condition Frank Castle's shoulder must have been in. <laughs> because, because my God, that's, that's not even being held together by a full piece of dental floss. It's like a fiber of a string of dental floss. I mean... Yeah, it it's not a vital or it's not a vital organ. Yeah, it would take you a, a hell of a long time to bleed out unless you unless you hit it just so. But you can only do so much damage to that structure before it just let me just for is it there before it just isn't anymore. <laughs> it, it is no longer it is no longer it is no longer muscle it's barely muscle and bone anymore. It's pretty much just loosely stuck together stew meat <clears throat> at a certain point. Uh, and last but not least, uh, regarding Green Lantern Dina Madani of Space Sector 2814, <laughs> um, after the number of times and the number of ways she departs from procedure, goes off the reservation, and manages to nearly get herself and her colleagues killed. I would be stunned if she could get a job as an elementary school crossing guard. <laughs> this was all said and done. All things considered, she probably shouldn't have even have even any longer been uh, gainfully employed by the Systems Alliance military. Um, when the fateful raid goes down that gets her that gets her partner killed, she probably should have been stuck on the sidelines long, long sooner. At least would have been just a little bit more believable. But no, no, we we have to have that that one loose cannon that still gets results. Uh, Sean, so, why don't you go ahead and give us your your total summation of this series? Because I know you got to go, so I want to give you the okay. I want to give you the op- the opportunity to just sort of get out to, um, all your all burning right. desires. All right, yeah, I'll, I'll kind of get this off 
get this off my chest. And, and I'll, say, I'll say right up front, and Robert, I'll stick along, around long enough to hear if you'd like to rebut this. Uh, you may not agree with me, and I'm, please understand I don't mean this as a vehement takedown or anything disrespectful. Uh, much like you, I have both law enforcement and military history in my family. Uh, my dad uh, served in law enforcement actively for more than, for more than 20 years. Um, my family's military history includes three World War II vets and a second cousin who left it, who left most of his thumb over in Vietnam. That being said, uh, I want to take things back to the plot arc with, uh, I believe, I'm fading here a little bit mentally, uh, Wilson is the kid who was really not all there upstairs, right? The the one that Mark said you Mark that you said you hoped would turn out to be Mister Payback. Yes, uh, Lewis. Okay, okay, uh, Lewis. Thank you. I'm sorry. Um, so about Lewis, um, what the Marvel Netflix universe does really well. I, I've said a number of times that what the MCU does is it turns the concept of the superhero movie on its head by making superheroes kind of the backdrop for other genres. Along similar lines, what the Netflix Marvel Universe does is it uses superheroes to tell much more human stories. And each one tells a different one. Daredevil uh, confronts the definitions of justice and the and the effects of guilt. Jessica Jones uh, deserves every bit of acclaim that it gets for its depiction of PTSD and the survival of sexual abuse and assault. Uh, Luke Cage is a is a loving portrait to. Uh, one of the cradles of American of American black culture, Harlem. Uh, kind of both past and past and present, if you want to be honest about it. Um, I I'll be perfectly honest. I haven't seen I haven't watched a second of Iron Fist or The Defenders yet, so I can't really speak to either of those. But that being said, The Punisher is no different in that. As I said before, it tackles the price of sending Americans off to war uh, for, for, for any cause. And is it entirely balanced? No, I will agree with Robert on that. It isn't balanced. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't really have a counterpoint uh, to everything negative that it points out. Uh, there's just nothing there, and short of maybe Curtis, I would maybe point him out as kind of an ongoing beacon of hope. But even then, he doesn't really exist as kind of an opposition to everything, to all the, to all the, to all the tragedy and all the decay that he sees among his brothers in arms around him. But 
that being said, uh, one of the things that struck me for a long time about American culture that it's there's become almost what I would call an uncomfortable fetishization of the American military. And I'm not saying that there is no honor in serving. I, I have every ounce of respect for everybody who chooses to who chooses to enlist, who would gladly, if America ever had to enter another war where legitimately uh, our country's freedom, our way our way of life, our civil rights were all at stake as they were generations ago, uh, certainly I, I, I am and would be, thank, would be thankful that there were so many brave, eminently skilled men and women who were willing to lay down their lives uh, to, defend, to defend those freedoms and defend everything our country stands for. Because... You know, often I hear I hear the argument whenever somebody is perceived as being uh, a coward or being entitled. Uh, snowflake is kind of a favorite insult of the moment. There's almost always a veteran who pipes up, who pipes up and says, "Oh yeah, well, why don't you go and listen in the military? That would solve everything." Or that's kind of the answer to seemingly every societal ill. Is I think most recently I read in regards to uh, NFL players who refused to stand for the national anthem. Oh, make them enlist in the mil in the military. That'll set them straight. Well, okay. Here's part of the problem with that, and it's something that the Punisher lays out pretty pretty clearly. Not everybody is cut out to be a soldier. Uh, it's something that I heard from my dad for years on for years on end, right up to this past spring. Uh, he grew up deeply fascinated with the military and World War One and World War Two stories. Um, you know, my his, his older brother actually actually did enlist and is retired DOD. And he was like, "Well, what? You know, you, you got all these school loans you got to pay off, and you, know, you got laid off from your newspaper job." Why don't you go enlist in the military? I mean, not like in the Army or Marines or anything. Why don't you go enlist in the Air Force or the Navy or the Coast Guard? I always thought that would be kind of neat to serve in one of those. Well, yeah, that's you. Quite frankly, I know I wouldn't be cut out to be a soldier. I know that for, I know that for a fact. And if we were to come, to come down to a draft and my number were to come up, would, would I show up and present myself for duty? Yeah. Absolutely, but would I enlist as my first as my first choice right now? No, because I'm not someone that I would necessarily want on want on the front line if it came to blows with North Korea or Iran or Iraq or anybody or anybody else. And that's one of the things that is kind of ill kind of illustrated here is the fact that not everybody is cut out to bear that burden when they come home. Um, I, I, up until recently, I recently had to move away from Phoenix for a little bit, although I'll be moving back soon. Um, there, uh, the, the name of Pat Tillman, 
is spoken in hushed, reverent whispers. And I understand why. I understand it's because he left behind what could have been a multi-million dollar athletic career, would have set him up for life, but no, instead he decided to serve his country um, and got sent overseas. That's the part you always hear about. Uh, you know, obviously there's there's the the controversy and the debate. Well, was he actually killed in action? Was it friend? Was it friendly fire? Why the cover up? Well, there was, I believe, it was a published edition of his journals that came out recently, in which at one point he wrote while he while he was overseas, he said. We shouldn't be here. You know, I, I object to the reasons for reasons for us fighting here, but I signed up. I took an oath. It's my duty to be here. And in the midst of, of celebrating everything, you know, every Veterans Day and every Memorial Day, you see it all over Facebook and Twitter and every and everyone else. If you enjoy your freedom, thank a veteran. Well. Here's the thing about that. Yeah, I, I love and respect our fighting men and women too. A lot of my a lot of my friends are now either were once or are now in, in the military. And I love them enough that as time has gone on and I've gotten older, I've come to resent the pointlessness of a lot of American op, of Amer, a lot of American operations. Um with the possible exception of nine eleven, there has not been a full-scale war that America has gone to with another country that absolutely, positively, unquestionably needed to be fought by us since we got involved in World War II. Um, and again, I, I point 9/11 out as a different story because because as much as yeah, we were at odds at odds with the Taliban in Afghanistan, uh, our real quarrel was obviously with Al Qaeda. And the cost of that is, is yeah, while not every veteran comes back suffering the travails that you hear from the military men and women from Frank Castle downward in The Punisher, yeah, there certainly are those who come back and are just at a loss with what to do with themselves and who, pay a, and who seemingly paid that price for no reason. Who come who come back to to this country, and can say, yeah, that that really needed to be done, and I think maybe, and I'm just speculating here, maybe that was part of the reason why they kind of structured Castle's backstory in part the in part the way they did is the notion that he went over there. He was he was used like he was used as a tool for for someone else's agenda, and he came back and probably sometimes had some doubts as to what did I even accomplish by going over there? What what did I fight for? What did I do all these terrible all these terrible things for? Now, as we found out later in life with my grandfather, when he came back from World War II, um, later we we found. Uh, journals that indicated that after seeing what he saw during the liberation of the concentration camps, obviously it it kept him up nights. 
he couldn't sleep. He he had he had nightmares. I sadly he passed away before I before I was born while my dad was in college. I never had a chance to meet him, but you know, as as has been pointed out a few times among members of my family, my mom's side, he he had a drinking problem. And I gotta think it contributed to that. You know, but still I gotta think that deep down he knew what he fought for and he knew that it had to be done. It was it was a job they it was a job they had to do for their country and they weren't coming back until it was until it was through. In this case, you look around the cast of veterans and the Punisher and well and there's something else that you see that that my dad kind of experienced sometimes as sometimes as a police chief. I remember one time on a hunting trip, he was talking to one of his colleagues on the Mitchell, South Dakota Police Department. I forget which one it was, but he noted how he would get guys who would who would get this whole recruiting spiel in the military about, we'll train you to come back here and be abs- be perfectly qualified, more qualified than anybody else, to be anything that you want, thing you want to be, to have pretty much a leg up over every over every other American, all you have to do is sign on the dotted line. Well, as he would point out, he would get guys who would come and apply to the police department and <laughs> and they would be like army rangers and come around about, oh I I've got I've got hundred I've got hundreds of uh airdrops airdrops and jumps and jumps to my and jumps to my record. And Dad said well, yeah, that's when I got to point out to him. Well, that's great, but we really don't do that many parachute missions on the police force. <laughs> you, well, yeah, it, it, yeah, I, I hear you giggle, but the fact is, you get guys who get told this by told this by recruiters, um, and I, I'm told that it can get especially manipulative. And then, well, in fact, you know, I did like Robert. I did. I myself almost enlisted once. Um, but fortunately, I was kind of I was kind of talked out of it because I I got the same big spiel. We'll you know we'll pay for we'll pay for college we'll pay for your training you'll be perfectly qualified for any career you could possibly you could possibly want to get want to get into you just have to pretty much sign your life over to us for this many for this many years. Well, the problem with that being the part they don't tell you about is the people who come over and they're either they're either kind of like Frank Castle in that they realize that being a soldier is kind of the only thing that they're ever really that they're ever really good at or they just kind of they kind of feel like they left a part of themselves a part of themselves over there that they're never getting back and it does make and it does make it hard to move hard to move on again part of kind of part of the whole mystique is supposedly and I'll kind of bring it full circle and wrap this up by going back to the people who said well send those well send those ungrateful NFL players overseas make them enlist that'll straighten them out okay let's get something straight here um simply being in the military is not a cure all 
it is not guaranteed to make somebody a better person. In many cases, it does. It does instill discipline and structure and a sense of respect. But in some cases, you send an, you send an unrepentant, remorseless asshole into the military, and all that you get back is you get an unrepentant, remorseless asshole who's all of a sudden even better with a gun than he was before. You know, in fact, that was that's why throughout American history you have you have had a lot of criminal organizations that have started that that have started that way. You had guys who came back from who came back from overseas and saw it as an easy way of money because, well, they they'd already been shown how been shown how to how to kill people, how to break and how to break and enter. Um, how to be, or, again, organized and disciplined, and instead of taking that and turning that into a prosperous, legitimate legitimate life, no, they turned it into a life of crime. I, I seem to remember Ice-T once said something like, once said something like that. I mean, a bunch of other guys, well, we got, out, we got out of the military, and we already knew all these tactics and stuff. We knew how to handle, we knew how to handle a gun, so what do you think we did with it? So, that's kind of why I appreciate this series is it looks at so many of those angles and it really breaks strongly from what is, I think, a too shallow, ill-informed, and dangerously one-sided mystique of this kind of chest-beating, flag-sticking out, out of your ass patriotism that soldiers are all of them absolutely to a man demigod heroes no they're human beings they're they are fragile they are vulnerable and most importantly they are absolutely breakable and as much as you see them revered practically on a level of batman and superman it, it goes back to how uh president trump at one point, said to someone that he was a, who was handing over his purple heart to him, said, "I always wanted one of wanted one of these. I don't think there is a purple heart honoree who wants a purple heart. I don't think there's one of them. I think I think most of them would have probably rather never experienced what they did in the first place." To for those unaware, to just, uh, the purple heart is awarded for. Suffering injury in combat, if anyone out there wasn't yeah. aware. Yeah. Uh, you take somebody who, somebody who won a Purple Heart because they're now walking around with only three, with only three-fourths of the legs that they, had, that they had before they went overseas. If you asked them, would you rather have that Purple Heart or would you rather have your shin back I almost guarantee you, ninety-nine out of a hundred are gonna are gonna say, "You mean there's a chance I can have my leg?" It's it, it serves as maybe not the best depicted one, but it, it's a cold bucket of water on this on again this almost fetishization this this worship of. Of, mil- of military personnel as being practically superheroes, when I'm sure they would say, "Look, my God, you have no idea what no idea what we suffer 
You know, you have no idea what no idea we go through. And for all of them that are proud of their service, and by all means, hats off to you all, again, I'm sure there are just as many who probably came back from Iraq in the, in the mid-2000s or the 2010s and were left asking themselves, just like I did, you know, what was all that for? What what did we do? What what did we accomplish? What was at risk here when I went o- when I went over there in the first place? So that's it. Long winded as it was, that was kind of the kind of the big thought that the Punisher left me with. All right, thanks, Sean. Uh, appreciate you being on. I know this is uh, we have a lot of people on, and um, we could probably all talk about this for five hours, but we don't have that. So. Appreciate you being on. Uh, we'll talk to you in the next um, TV party. Jesse, I'm going to throw it over to you. Um, we're going to talk about, I'm going to let you comment on episodes seven and eight. We got Crosshairs and Cold Steel. And again, I'm really going to push fast here and just let one person per couple episodes talk so that we can get through this before uh, we lose recording time. Sure. Uh, this is, of course. This is, of course, our Morty Bennett episode. Woo! Morty, you dirty dog. Um, <laughs> he has, he has yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> he has himself a little date with a pro. Makes him lick a little little something-something off the floor. Gives him a little pinch and squeal. You know you know what Ronnie likes. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> what the? <laughs> Ronnie Adams. Um, so, anyway... Okay. So, we, so yeah. this, epi- so oh, this ahead, episode is ahead. all about Morty. Um, <clears throat> and then uh, what happens to him. And then in Cold Steel, uh, this is the bit where... We, and we haven't talked about this. And I, I, re- I would have liked to have dedicated more time to it. But uh, I, I'm going to need you to talk about uh, Frank developing a relationship with Micro's family. Micro's reaction to watching Frank develop a relationship with his family. Um, I think at this point, this is the bit where the wife has kissed him. Uh, Specifically in this episode, this is the bit where uh, Zach, after Zach's done punched his sister, he brought a knife to school. and um, Frank uh, tries to give him some tough love. Turns out that's not what he needed. Um, So go ahead. Uh, Crosshairs and cold steel, Jesse. Okay, real quickly. Uh, With Crosshairs, that's where, just like Mark said, they they went and uh, found Marty Bennett, and then uh, the whole place comes down on him. Uh, And the one thing that I took away from that episode is where Frank ran into the soldier in the tunnel, and he did not want to have to face this soldier, because he was trying to escape, and the soldier had him dead to rights, and he knew... And he did not want to hurt this guy in any way. And he just told him, don't worry about it. And, of course, the the soldier, uh, the good soldier that he was, pressed things. Uh, and that really put Frank in a, in a spot where he didn't want to be. Uh, and he kind of talks about that after he, he does escape. It's not like the soldier brings him to his knees. So we know Frank had to do something he didn't want to do. Um, now... I think there's two things from Cold Steel. He gets the Mark best already... line after that whole sequence when he says it's easier if when I can just kill people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he he doesn't want to do that to this guy, and it's it obviously a a much easier thing for for Frank to just end somebody that's 
done wrong in his eyes, but he knows this guy has not done anything. He's just following orders, just like he was at one point. Um, but yeah, with Cold Steel and that whole uh, you know dance that Frank had with Micro's family, his wife specifically, that was where I was really worried because at one point uh, a friend of mine sent me a message and said he didn't really he didn't know much about the Punisher comic book. Uh, so he didn't know what he was getting into, and he sends me a message. He's like, you know, is this stuff follow the comic book really closely? And I said, well, you know, there's some stuff in there that I'm not too uh, up on for sure. But I, he, I said, what point are you at in the series? And he said, sexy time. Well, <laughs> I was really, really genuinely concerned that Frank was either going to sleep with Karen Page or he was going to sleep with Micro's wife. And... What he was actually referencing was uh, was Dina, Agent Madani, and her nude ass all over the place. So that was <laughs> that was where I w- you know I was really glad that they they played they played it off and they made Frank faithful to his you know his dead wife. That if that would have went overboard, and he's known as a matter of fact, one of the first episodes of source material I ever did was circle of blood. And I think by issue two, he's sleeping with one of the, one of the ladies in there. I didn't like that. And so I was really hoping they didn't do that here. And that was kind of, that's kind of what I took away from that. Um, now the last thing I want to talk about cold steel is agent. Uh, is it what's Madonna's partner's name? Sam. Sam. I think they just his, go by his first name. Okay. Sam's death at the end of Cold Steel. Where now you, it hurt it hurt my feelings. I was touched because he he's dead and he's laying there and he's got blood coming out and he's looking right at Madani and he's trying to tell her and the look on his face is probably the best part of the act, part of acting uh, that this guy did throughout the whole series. Because I really felt like he was trying to tell her something. And the look on his face, looked, he, it was just filled with dread because he knew he was dying. And he knew that his friend, his partner, was you know, being betrayed by Russo because Russo takes his mask off and shows him his face and then proceeds to stab him in his throat. And he's bleeding all over the place and not even able to talk. Um, that really, I think... A, there's like maybe two or three episodes that I commented on social media because, you know, my, my opinion matters apparently, but uh, no, it doesn't really. Uh, but I made sure to put on there, you know, this episode, wow, the ending, this was one of the episodes where the ending had me going, okay, I felt what this guy was trying to do. And I didn't want Sam to die, but here's the thing. I didn't care for Agent Madani and that whole side story. Uh, I know there was a purpose behind it, but there could have been 75% less of it in my opinion. Uh, but hey, you know, we got, we, we got what we got and I like Sam. I didn't want to see Sam die. Uh, so there you go. Crosshairs and cold steel. Okay. Um, Robert, uh, let's talk about, uh, Lewis's last stand here. Good old front toward enemy, which again is shade is, uh, is definitely a shade from welcome back Frank. If you've read that story, uh, and if you haven't, you can go ahead and listen to the to us discuss it intelligently. Um, Ma Nucci got the ill communication on uh, the Source <laughs> Material podcast. Uh, so, of course, uh, Madani goes into a depression, blaming herself for Sam's death. 
Um, Lewis goes on a bombing spree throughout New York City, sends Karen a letter, says, you're either with me or you're against me, et cetera, et cetera. Um, there's an, uh, this is where we get the other side. This is what we were talking about before, the other side of the gun debate with the, with the liberal senator. Um, this is the episode, I believe, no, it's the next episode where, uh, where he, where Lewis blows himself up. And I believe that's the one where you get, where you get the entire scenario done a couple of different ways from everyone's perspective, different perspective. So why don't you go ahead and give us 50 words or less on front toward enemy in virtue of the vicious. Um, look, bombers are cowards. Like, and that's not just my opinion. Like, this is documented fact. If you ever look into behavioral sciences, bombers are fundamentally cowards by the time they reach that particular state. And that clearly sets, you know, Frank off a little bit that this guy is just bombing innocent people and he's just, you know, deeply unhappy about this. Um. His confrontation, I like that you get a little bit more from Curtis in Front Towards Enemy, and he is wired up to explode, and he and Frank have that kind of heart-to-heart where they, he, where Frank expresses his guilt over Curtis losing part of his leg. Curtis talks about how, no, I didn't, come up, I didn't wake up in the hospital as a fountain of sunshine and positivity. <laughs> uh, so, uh, there was a lot of fun there. Uh, Virtue of the Vicious, which is actually a very famous Oscar Wilde quote. Uh, he, I believe it goes, patriotism is a virtue of the vicious. Which kind of plays here. I really liked getting the same sequence of events multiple times from different perspectives. It's one of my favorite things because it makes you question how much you can trust each individual, you know, each individual who tells you the story. I'm... I got a very big soft spot for a movie called Basic that is about 80% an investigation where they do this, where you just get the same time frame and sequence of events from different people's perspectives. Uh, The action itself is fine. This one bothered me a little bit because, again, my maternal grandfather was a California Highway Patrolman for like 30 years, and he spent the last bit of that in protective services. Um, State officials, specifically like governor and lieutenant governor, are not overseen by Secret Service. They're overseen by Highway Patrol. So, yeah, and frequently when watching movies that dealt with, again, security and protective services, he would point out to me how much they were doing wrong. Uh, because he and, – and, and again, the lieutenant governor of California, who he was kind of responsible for looking after, that's a relatively important position. He traveled all over the world. He worked with Secret Service guys on several occasions. So when they set up the, you know, the anvil as his private security and I'm watching that, it's just like none of this. Just none of this. <laughs> uh, so, again, but – uh, as far as that, that kind of, again, so that bugged me a little bit, but you know, Lewis's tragedy is adequately gone through. Um, there was some interesting stuff here, but it's mostly kind of to set up the next two episodes, which are I want to uh, just awesome from basically start to finish. Uh, I have a lot that I would love to say about Home because uh, my favorite episode of this whole season by a significant margin. Uh, but 
Probably the other great moment from Virtue of the Vicious is the actual end when Frank, having been shot repeatedly, mostly in the vest this time, and Karen is asked, because she's one of the people whose perspective on the events they get, Karen is asked by the detective in question, so how come we couldn't find him? You know, we had this place locked down, and she just kind of laughs and goes, do you really think Frank Castle goes into a building that he doesn't know how to get out of? And then you see him zip lining from rooftop to rooftop. With the injured shoulder. He was, holding him, he was holding himself up with the other shoulder. Like, that's why he was only going yeah. one-armed. I love you, but fuck you, okay? I'm so, you know, you guys are going on and on and on about the shoulder, and I'm like, yeah, this is the thing that he will zip line across it with, with, with said shoulder. I don't want to hear it. This man is oh, after he re- after he wrenches it, uh, jumping off, jumping down the <laughs> oh, stairwell. Oh, that's right. He, he messed his shoulder up and had to, like, do a... Uh, I don't know if he dislocated it or whatever, but it was bad. He did something unhappy to it. Yeah, it was not good. No, but yeah, at, at right. least, and again, at least when he ziplines across, they had the internal continuity to have him holding the zipline with the other arm. <laughs> All right, we've lost uh, Ronnie for the evening, so um, it's going to be the three of us to try to get through the, uh, the the last bit of this before Plot Talk unceremoniously cuts the sound. Um, yeah. All right, so let's let let's just do all three here. Let's let's get this done. Danger Close, Home, and Memento Mori. Uh, this is the last three episode arc of the season. This is where all the strings are uh, are tied together. This is where um, everything comes to a glorious conclusion. Really, uh, episodes eleven and twelve are probably my two favorites of the entire series. I they're great. Thirteen. Uh, episode 13, which is basically just the one-on-one between Punisher and Jigsaw, I probably could have done without. I just It just goes on forever. It didn't need an episode. Like we get, like, it really didn't it, yeah, need no. a full episode for that. No. Make, it should, this should have ended with episode 12, and, that, and, that le- and the bit on the merry-go-round should have been, been like a 90-minute episode, and they could have just done that 30 minutes you know, at the end of, uh, of home here. But let, let's get to it. So, um, Roos, Jigsaw captures Sarah and Zach. There's an exchange that happens where it may, it's made to look like Micro has been killed and um, uh, the Punisher has been uh, kidnapped by Russo and Rollins. They attempt to torture him in the, uh, in the power station where they've been hiding. This ends with, with Rollins' gruesome death after Russo betrays <laughs> oh, him, basically. Oh, I was so happy that that was as violent as it was. Like, not, <laughs> yeah, buddy. Not a, not a joke. Like, as a fan of violence, I loved it, but also not a joke. My brother, my immediately younger brother, when he was watching this, after being introduced to Rollins as he still exists at the CIA, pauses, his, pauses it, looks over at me, and says, does this asshole die as deserving as he should? And I couldn't be too specific, but yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, so let's just, I mean, for the sake of time here, let's just react to, uh, I'll let you guys react in turn to the last three episodes here. So I'll start with you, Jesse. All right. So all three together. Uh, well, yeah. okay. I'll tell you one of the most moving moments was where, Frank and Micro are he has to walk past his family and his family realize that he's alive at that point Um, 
I mean, that had me going, oh, you know, that had to have been hard because Frank just kept saying, look, look straight ahead, look straight ahead, do not move. Keep it together. It would be hard Keep to do together. that. Keep it together. Yeah, it would be hard to do that. Uh, especially, I don't know how long he was in hiding, but, you know, his family a thought year. about a year, I think. A year? They, they said uh, it's, it's about a year. It's a year, but it's, a, it's, it's said in the show it's a year to this point. And imagine being in hiding and watching your family grow in front of you. They think you're dead, but you have all the cameras set up. Yeah, you feel like a part of them, but then you're going to have that longing to you know, feel your son wrap his arms around you, your wife give you a kiss, whatever. It would be so hard to see them within feet, if not inches, uh, from you and not react uh, because he, ha- he had to keep it straight. I think out of those three, I'm going to let you guys espouse on the other because there's, oh, man, the violence and the brutality that occurs. <laughs> I will leave that up to the men who are I got you more covered. capable. I got you yeah, covered buddy. for that. <laughs> So, but yeah, out of those three episodes, I'd say, I'd say that that was probably one of the more moving moments for me. Look, let me say this before Robert jumps in. What I thought was great about 11 and 12 um, was the, was, you know, the emotional components, the acting. You know, I really thought the guy that plays Micro does a really stellar job of subtly playing all of the emotions that go along with the choice that he made, which was to fake his own death to hide, you know, to protect his family. Um, what I, I'm not going to say that I didn't care for it, but I, I, you know, much like the merry-go-round in, in uh, episode 13, you know, and the, and episode, I think it's three where, where he's naked the entire time. I just feel like a lot of the stuff just goes on for too long. It, it, this, and I'm going to call, I'm going to call it the, the curse of the Netflix show where, because these are not like typical uh, serial shows, you know, it's basically a 13-hour movie, you know, broken yeah. up into parts. They, there tends to be the – I've noticed this with Orange is the New Black, and I've noticed this with the other – especially with the other Marvel shows. There's one or two episodes where it's the, it's the same beat for 60 minutes. It's like I a techno that- song. I think that they believe that they're trying to create some character development, but it's really, really too long in our eyes. It's like, okay, we right. get it. So, we, what's, we understand what's going on. Okay. Torturing Frank needed to be about 20 minutes shorter. Yeah. Like, nah, I, nah. <laughs> that was fine. <laughs> nope. I, the you, issue is not the, the torture of Frank. It's more what they do in the interim. They spend way too much time with Micro and Madani. You're not. They needed then you're something not understand, different. Then you're not understanding what I'm saying. If that if, if that's your answer to that, you're missing my point. You can you can show Frank getting tortured, and you can show the other stuff. You don't need to show more of Frank getting tortured. That's the same beat over and over again. Nothing. There was nothing accomplished with that, and that's the thing with shooting film, with whether it's TV or a movie. It's you know, and then and then going through the process of editing is putting up on screen what is necessary to tell the story. And I feel like a lot of the torture stuff wasn't necessary. You get the I, point. I don't know. I think they... I have a very specific disagreement with that that I'm happy to get into in a second. I, my thing is I believe that they have to show you that this guy is human. And that you, you need to think in your mind, Mark Radlich, is he going to die? 
because okay. he is ta- I, he's I have a only human. Here. Hang on. I have a question. It's, it's a simple yes or no. Please, let's not do yet another, you know, hour and a half ramble into who knows the hell what. Yes or no. Is Frank any different or is there any information gotten in any of, in any of, what, uh, of him being tortured? Is he a different yes. person by the end of that episode in any significant way? How? Yes. What's different about him? Okay. He what? Be- well, he comes to uh, – at one point he accepts that he's going to die. That's what Except I got out of he, it. He was ready to die in episode one. <laughs> How is that different? Winfrey? What is fundamentally different, and it's the reason I love episode 12 so much. Like, There's a lot that I like about 11. I like the setup. I love Frank's massacre of that assault team. I, Because it's well shot. It's well acted. It's well executed. Oh, that's, uh, the be- that, that, that's some of the best stuff of the, of the episode. I really love um, Bernthal needs a ton of credit because he developed uh, this roar that Frank gives out when he gets into battle. That is just the most blood curdling thing. It's really low pitched and it just, when he, when he, when he does that, it's, it, it's why you key in, you know, martial arts, it it does something. And his roar is in, in that sequence when he grabs the M60 and basically shoots through an entire concrete column, which that particular weapon can do. But for those of you who doubt the veracity of that, it's glorious. The point of the majority of what takes place in home is not actually the torture of Frank. It's where Frank goes in his own head. Mm-hmm. I mean, Frank I getting the crap. Arguing... Hang on. Hang I on. at no time brought that up, although that got repetitive too. To, to how that ends, we could have gotten there a lot quicker. And I would just disagree because I think you need to see how far he gets pushed and no, where Winfrey, he goes we, when he is needed, coping. We needed to see and every more, bit of those moments. Hang on. We needed to see every bit of those moments in Transformers Age of Extinction. Every last one of them, Winfrey. Don't you remember? You, oh, that's not the argument you made. You were telling me how much of that movie needed to be cut. Yes, a lot of it did. And there's stuff in this show that needs to be cut. I'm not arguing that this is the tightest 13 episodes ever. Okay. I, 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 this may, may, I don't know, maybe this boils down to a personal thing with you and I, but I didn't see the value in as much of the torture as they showed. I, I just didn't. Uh, it, I, I might have to watch the episode again to see if I feel differently. Watching it the first time... That whole bit where he is, you know, again, beaten, it all builds to that moment right before he stands up and violently murders William Rollins. After, and being, it, after being injected with adrenaline. Oh which my is the, the dumbest thing ever. Like, <laughs> that was in the pantheon of bad villain decisions that immediately lead to their demise injecting Frank Castle with a dose of adrenaline might take the cake. Absolutely. (laughs) But the moment before that, when his wife approaches him in his head, and you now, you know, you have to choose whether or not you want, you know, whether you come with us and die or stay here, and it, 
the whole thing is framed with his with their previous discussion of you know he's gone over so many times where is home now and he has the opportunity to pass over and be with his family again and instead he makes the very conscious decision that no my home is here in this absolute mess of blood and betrayal and misery and I I couldn't tell you the specific reason why in my makeup that got to me, but that broke my heart. That genuinely I don't broke know. my I, heart. I, I remember, I don't remember, it was episode two or three in Daredevil, where he's sort of explaining himself, you know, and he's doing the penny for a dime speech. And I don't know if he's significantly different at the end of that episode than he was in Daredevil. See, the thing that makes Frank... I would, I would argue that there's a fundamental shift in his acceptance of who he is. And it's not a big thing in terms of the action. No, he's still going to take the same action that he would. But his acknowledgement that, no, my home is blood, misery, and death rather than with my family, is a very, very fundamental shift in how his character views the world. See, to me, the only significant change in Frank is shown at the very, very end of 13. To me, he he, is in a lot of ways the the same guy. He has a war in him uh, in both Daredevil and all 12 episodes of of this. Listen, let me make this argument. I think that that John um, Jehoshaphat Bernthal oh, does an excellent <laughs> does an excellent job of portraying uh, 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 of bringing to life the characterization of the Punisher. He's interesting to watch on screen. The shifting of his shoulders, the shake of his chin, the the manner of speech that he chooses to use. You know that that Goomba at Brooklyn. Uh, Italian uh, uh, voice that he chooses, all of that made for uh, made for a very dynamic performance to watch for a character who did not change in not one but two shows until the very last moment, and it's that very and, last and moment look, that is this my saving per- grace. My from, hang, hang on, argument. Not yet. All right. Wait, wait, wait. Let me let me finish. Go ahead. It's that that very last moment is the saving grace of this character for me, and that is the acknowledgement that he's still a human being and that he does need help, and that having a war inside him is not a great way to live. When he opens up in group, that to me is that to me is the victory. You know, he he could have killed Russo at any time. He could have killed Rollins at any time had he been in the same room with him. That's who he is. He is the god of death, essentially. He is Marvel's god of death. But a Punisher who is willing to be vulnerable and sit in a room and talk about how this is probably not a good way to live, that to me is him winning the day. That, you know, gaining back some sense of his humanity. But you don't get that until episode 13. You don't get that until the last two minutes of the episode. I would argue that you wouldn't even get that point if he doesn't have that epiphany in episode 12. That is the payoff from his realization at the end of 12, is that this actually isn't sustainable. And you're telling me that you needed absolutely all that footage? 
to get there, yeah. to, to get that point. Consider how I much have, denial this guy's in. Think about I, it. I, how, I, how much has he already endured and still deluded himself? Okay, it does take here. a significant amount of pain and near-death experience to force him into that position. You I or have I, a we might get there through talking. You know, Frank, no. There has to be a physical component to this for him. Yeah. And if he arrives there after the first three punches, it cheapens it. Go ahead, I I, I have a question for you, Mark, okay? Because we we all know how much of a mamby-pamby you are when it comes to kind of violence and gore sometimes. (laughs) All right? All right, now, watching that that series of scenes, I want to know, did it make you either – get bored or did it make you feel uncomfortable both both i think if it made you feel uncomfortable the length of those scenes did its job because that's what it's supposed to do it's supposed to make you go oh shit that i don't like this i do not like this this guy better get his revenge so I, I did learn something about myself through watching The Punisher. I much prefer long, uh, you know, long repetitive scenes of people being shot with guns than I enjoy long repetitive scenes of people fist fighting. Oh, torture. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, Punisher is far superior to Iron Fist in that in that respect. Story aside, you enjoy, a guy it, running around, you enjoy it more. That doesn't make it better. Be very clear about that. No, that's, that's not, okay. That, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, in my mind, Punisher is a much better show than Iron Fist because man shoots gun and shoots everyone in, sh- in the show. Yay! Man fights everyone with punches and kicks. Boo! <laughs> it's nice to know where your psychology lies in that, Mark. Listen, my, two fa- my three favorite shows right now of all the Marvel shows in no particular order are Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, and The Punisher. Best, that's the best shit I've seen yet. Uh, all right, last couple of things I wanted to bring up. I love the fight between Frank and Billy. I, I I agree that it took too long getting there. Like, there's significant portions of that episode that should have been trimmed and merged with others. That's not my point of contention. When they actually get to shooting at each other and then stabbing and bludgeoning and Frank just doing unholy things with a mirror, uh, I loved every minute of that. <laughs> I also yeah, well, we like, got there. I agree. Like, the journey was ponderous. I won't deny it, but the payoff was spectacular. And mm-hmm. I really liked, and this goes to, again, Frank's kind of pseudo-epiphany about who he is and who he wants to be. He doesn't kill him. And there's a very specific reason for it in this case. He just wants him to suffer more. You know, he's not, he doesn't, not kill him because he believes that there should be some greater sense of justice. It's just, no, you actually want to die, and for everything that you have done to me, I mean, the flashback they have in this seat, in that episode where you see Billy and Frank and his family in that same location, just when you know in happier times, contextualized with where they wind up, it's again, it's it's borderline heartbreaking because it's such a tragedy, and well, Frank's daughter owning Billy with logic was just great. <laughs> All but right. It, um, it, it, so again, he gets to the end, and it's just no dying's easy. Uh, I want you to I want you to live in agony. Now, personally, I would have accomplished that via some form of paralysis, in addition to massive facial trauma. But my way also would have prevented him from becoming a recurring villain. But that's how my brain works. All right. 
we I need fifty words or less in summation, and then we gotta go. We are we are down to the wire. No pun intended. You you did that on purpose. <laughs> I'm uh, Jesse, you want to go first? Week. Yeah, yeah. I'll go ahead and say that. You know, I really, really looked forward to this series, and I don't feel I was completely let down because there are a <laughs> lot, a lot of parts you like you of this some- show. What's Wait, that? You felt like you were somewhat let down? No, well, you said something there, and I don't know if you meant to, but you was like, I, I wasn't completely let down. Well, you were somewhat let down? No, I wasn't completely down. let down. No, well, I'll tell you, the, the only criticisms I have are, have already been said, and that's there could have been a lot less of a few things throughout this series. Um, and maybe cut a, you know, it probably could have resulted in one or two episodes less, in my opinion. Uh, so I have my criticisms of it. Is it better than season two daredevil punisher and i'll tell you right now i'm i'm i would have to go back and revisit but i still hold his appearance there probably over the standalone series and a lot of that's probably again punisher's good in small doses when you when you really dive into the character sometimes it's tough to keep your interest going without going okay get get to that guy you know get to the sawed off to some guy's head or get get to the bludgeoning. Uh, we we want that in some in some fashion, but they did a great job of fleshing him out uh, and and putting a story around Frank Castle, the Punisher. So I enjoyed my time watching it. I had a great time. You know, this was one my wife sat through with me, and we both we both enjoyed it. We both cringed, we both cheered. Uh, so my I I I can't be unbiased and say that I would put this top of my Marvel shows because the Punisher has been my favorite character for quite a while. So, but I would I hundred percent agree. I would hundred percent agree. It's not better than Luke Cage. Oh, shut up. Thank Take you. Take your Winfrey. concert crap and go <laughs> elsewhere. Gee, yeah. Punisher season two. Now with more concerts, Mark Radulich approves. <laughs> Uh, no, Mark would hate it because the music isn't to his taste. Like, I, again, I loved the musical choices in this, and the kind of dark country, just acoustic guitar opening is the best opening of all the Marvel shows by a significant margin. Mm-hmm. Oh, agreed. There's, yeah, there's no no disagreement there. But yeah, that's all I have. I, I turn it over to you, Winfrey. I love this show. I like. There's so much about this that appeals to me on a personal level. Again, fan of violence. I love that the violence means something, which is my big criticism of, you know, crappy horror movies and what the Saw franchise turned into and the filmography of Eli Roth. It has to mean something. And there is so much time in this show devoted to letting the actors act. Any, uh, the guy who plays Micro does a brilliant job. Anytime he's watching his family on those computer monitors, it's, it's gut-wrenching. And he does a tremendous job of relaying that to the audience. Like, Bernthal's Punisher, uh, I don't know if he eclipsed what is, in my mind, the greatest acting moment in that character's history when he and Daredevil are just kind of commiserating in a cemetery before he's arrested. And he gives that a beautiful soliloquy. Oh, yeah. But you know, Bernthal is pretty clearly the Punisher. Uh, 
you know, I, I would hate to be the guy who has to try and play Frank after this because you, you're not surpassing what he did. Uh, I love the musical choices that go into this. I, like throughout significant portions of home, you actually have, I believe the just kind of very famous guitar, slow guitar por- uh, portion of painted black. Actually, not painted black. I guess that's a, I believe that's a Metallica song, but the uh, the Rolling Stones cover. No, painted black is no. That's painted black. Painted black that is, is painted Rolling black. Stones. Thank you, thank you. Well, it's actually the Stones cover of something, if memory serves me. But neither here nor there. And it, again, it is the acting and the characters that actually give the violence context. So it's not just mindless. It's not just let's see how many different ways we can kill someone with a knife. Because you're invested and because the actors do such a good job, it still means something. That you go whole episodes without a you know, a violent murder spree. So that when it does happen it still carries weight. That is so so important. Yeah. The violence has to mean something, otherwise it serves no purpose. And again, like there's issues with you know, certain episodes in this show, but the far and away the majority of the action and the bloodletting was done correctly. And I have to applaud the showrunners for striking that balance where it still mattered and it wasn't just, well, we must spray brains across the screen. Um, as I I wasn't joking when I said this is in my top three in no particular order, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones in this one. I really did enjoy this. Um, I, I'm in agreement with a lot of what both of the guys before me said. This this could this could have used a dose of editing, but overall, I enjoyed the story. The, I'll say I'll repeat what I said in source material. The Punisher is best when he's facing obstacles that prevent him from slaughtering people, so that when you finally get to him slaughtering people, as Winfrey said, it it is meaningful. Um, just watching 13 episodes of him, you know murdering people nonstop wouldn't have been any fun. It wouldn't have been a good story. You know, the best parts about this are, 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 and I say this all the time, but the best parts of the Punisher um, for me is the acting. Were the <laughs> it acting. genuinely the, is the, the acting. Thing. The relationships between the characters, good, bad, or indifferent, or as incompetent as some of the characters are in this show, uh, it, is, it is the relationships that keep bringing me back and then you would get the payoff of, be, of Frank slaughtering people with a machine gun. Um, look, I, I'm tired. <laughs> I've worked tomorrow. Jesse has worked tomorrow. Um, it is three hours, and we are just shy of midnight. I want to thank everybody for coming on. I apologize for how we, the, the shit show this started with. We don't need to revisit that, but just, you know, we got our act together. We did an extra hour to get through it all. Uh, thank Sean. Thank Ronnie. Thank Robert. Thank Jesse. Uh, for everybody, this has been TV Party's review of The Punisher Season 1. Uh, I think this is the last TV party of the year. We're back uh, in January with a bunch because there won't be any Damn You Hollywoods. Uh, check out the Damn You Hollywood reviews for... Uh, oh, sorry. We have one more TV party left. We have The Crown Season 1 with Andrew Graham next week. Then Star Wars, then Jumanji, and then we start it all over again in January. All right. I hate my life. Thank you. Be well, be safe, and behave.